Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Welcome again to another edition of Raise the Horns Radio. I'm Jason Mankey. I'm the one raising the horns. This is my show. This is our sort of live show for the month. It's not really live because we're pre-recording it because I'm going to see Robert Plant this evening. Robert Plant, of course, was the lead singer of Led Zeppelin and is like a rock god. And I have curly blonde hair because I desperately want to be like Robert Plant been a busy February here at Raise the Horns. We were at Pantheacon. We were at Convocation. Ugh, so many things to do. So much going on. And I was at both festivals with Laura Tempest-Zakroff, who is our guest this evening. Hello, Tempest. Hi, Jason. Yeah, it's, uh, it's only been a few hours. <laughs> I, I know. I, I see. I got back. Well, it was Monday. I think we both got back Monday, right? And uh, no, we actually, we, uh, Dwayne and I flew back on uh, Sunday night, but mm. we basically got here almost Monday morning with delays. Oh, we got home. Yay. Yay. And the cats were excited. <laughs> oh, yes. So uh, our heater broke while we were gone, so the cats were like, what, what the hell? Why? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> we're all nice and warm now. Okay. It's not nice and warm here. I'm, like, freezing in California. Really? Yeah. I mean, I realize that's relative for California. I mean, today it was, like, 45 this morning, but for us, that's cold, and our house does not warm up. Yeah. I think it's actually warmer. It's probably, like, 50 or 60 here, so uh, it's still in your sunshine. Yeah. Woe is me. My life is so hard (laughs) and terrible. (laughs) So there are a lot of things that we have to talk about, I think, and we're going to start with your book, Sigil Witchery, which just came out, what, in December or January? Uh, Officially January 8th, so due to modern technology, we're able to get it uh, right before the solstice. Yeah. And I, you know, check Amazon to see how books are selling. There's not really an official pagan you know, here are our top 20 pagan selling books kind of list. But there is the Amazon list where you can sort of see how things are doing on witchcraft there and stuff. And your book has been selling like really, really well. I mean, you've been in, like, you're at the top of the charts. Are you are you excited? Are you surprised? Do you, are you numb to it? Do you not really care at all? to 
the material as I present it in workshops and have been really, really excited about this book. So I, it, it seems like that, yeah, that's, it would be popular, you know, perhaps, but you still never know. You really never know once you put an idea out there that's just in print format without you with it presenting the material live to people. So, so yay. Yay. Now, I've been to your workshops about uh, sigil witchery. Did the book flow out of the workshops, or did you start writing the books and then start doing the workshops? It started with actually my uh, visual alchemy workshop, which is about the intersection of art and magic. And from there, I, you know, in, that, in that class, I give a, I, uh, words, words, I have them. I give the history of, of art and making things and magic. And at the end, I include some of my artwork because, hey, you know, this is something I could definitely talk to on a personal scale. And people started asking about the social work that were in those paintings. And so, could you teach a workshop on this? And so I decided, yeah, I could, I could do that. And I did some reverse engineering on, you know, something that's a very intuitive process for me. And then I presented it for the first time at PantheaCon. I think it was over two years ago now. And... You know, as soon as the workshop was done, uh, everyone's like, when are you writing a book on this? So I, okay, that's, uh, that's another thing that's on the list. So the, the workshop definitely fed right into the book, and I thought it would make it easier to teach the workshop in even less time, but now I have even more material to discuss, so I think it really would happily be a four- to six-hour workshop if I could let it be that long. That would be awesome. Just as in a concise way, when someone asks you what sigil witchery is, is that a question that you can easily answer? Sigils made by witches. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so sigil witchery is an intuitive sigil-making process, and sigils being the crafting of magic symbols in a way that does not involve ceremonial magic or chaos magic. Uh, it is very much rooted in your own personal symbolism, and the process is very right-brained. Uh, so people who think creatively, people who use visualization, find it extremely easy to use. Is that short enough? <laughs> That's pretty short. It's pretty short. I, I'm impressed. But, you know, Ari and I have been impressed with you for many years. Now, you do all the work in the Sigil Witchery book, right? All the artwork in the Sigil Witchery book, right? Yes. 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 Uh, I did, I think it's something like uh, 130 illustrations, uh, which was a great idea before I started writing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since we can't illustrate the uh, the Witch's Tool series, I think mean, he does a great job on those, uh, but they're sort of that, especially being an artist, I'm like, I want to illustrate my work as well. I really went overboard. Uh, it's, it has no, it has exactly the amount of illustrations that it needs. Uh, but uh, my next book will probably have eight. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you are illustrating a book versus writing a book, is there is there a different mindset, or in this case, you know, are the two things like super compatible? I would say that they they run together very smoothly. Uh, you have. Uh, the way I write, I tend to think in imagery that I'm trying to create an image for someone so that they can practically apply what I'm talking about. And then to create an image for it uh, in, a, you know, in a drawn or painted kind of way, 
it's just that next step. It's just figuring out the what is going to need to be illustrated in this section because everything, everything could have a spot illustration, uh, which, which is why I think I originally had maybe like 150 in the call out. So getting it down to about 130 was <laughs> <laughs> was definitely successful for us. Like, oh, we don't need this, uh, but. Uh, it is uh, it's both exciting at the same time. It's that one more round of work that you have to do to get the book done. Do you like draw the sigils for the individual parts of the book while you're writing, or is it like, up? Oh, I'm done with the text. Now I'm going to go back and draw all the sigils. Well, the the second chapter of the meaning of the mark is all basic symbols uh, that can be used to be integrated into sigils. So those those are pretty self-explanatory, but in the, I believe it's chapter three, when I start talking about how to make the sigil happen, how do you, you know, go through the four steps, I did sketch out the sigil as I was working on it, and then came back to illustrate it in a final manner, and then there are 13 exercises where I wrote out scenarios so people can practice how to, you know, craft a sigil for all these different situations. Those I had to do at the end, so... I didn't plan out what the sigil looked like. I just knew what kind of situation, whether it's uh, a new coven forming and they want to create a symbol for that group, or it's someone who's trying to focus on studying and passing an exam, uh, for someone who is transitioning, uh, a protection spell, all these different things that someone might encounter in their daily lives. Uh, so those sigils were crafted at the end, uh, and then I had to write how I crafted them as well. So it was sort of this great situation, get all that out there, make sure that all the situations the publisher thought were, were good and didn't cross any boundaries, and which they did, they were all, they were fly colors, everything, crafted the sigil, and then had to write about the sigil. If someone like me, for instance, is really artistically impaired, meaning like my stick figures look bad, is sigil witchery still something I can do, or is my worry about how bad my artwork is going to be going to get in the way? I like to tell folks that if you can scribble your signature, and if you need to make a mark, whether you're with your finger or a pen, you can do this method. And I've had people who have sworn in class that they can't even draw a straight line with a ruler, then in the next week are sending me pictures of the sigils they have drawn. So it is definitely a method uh, that is approachable for everyone, though people who are artists are going to find it even more exciting that they can take it to the next level. So it is approachable for whether you have you consider yourself bad stick figures to someone who is an accomplished artist. I believe it is definitely accessible for everyone. And uh, the other thing is it's practice. Right? Anything you do, you have to practice on how to do it. So most of us are told when we're young children at some point, usually like, oh, second, third, fourth grade, oh, your drawing sucks. And so after that, you stop drawing, which is unfortunate because drawing is a really great tool for activating your mind, uh, using hand-eye coordination. All, all these really beneficial things come with this simple act of drawing, even though society doesn't think art is that important. Uh, <laughs> So uh, you can definitely do it, and you can improve on it, and then find a little bit more of your artistic side. Yeah, and I'm, it's not that teachers ever told me I was bad. It's just that I knew I was bad. 
I mean, there just wasn't really any doubt. However, you know, it's still fun to draw even if you can't draw. I, we're friends, but I'll always admit that I hate you because you you are a fantastic artist and a terrific writer, and long before that, were a world famous belly dancer. How do you, do you think of yourself as an artist or a writer, or is it just kind of like I'm just an all together creative person? categories, uh, whether it's visual art, uh, physical visual um, movement, and uh, the crafting of words is an art in itself. It's all in the realm of art. Uh, but uh, people like labels, so usually I'll run off the you know, author, dancer, artist, designer, various other things that people like to call me. <laughs> Oh, that's right. I forget that you used to design like necklaces and and jewelry back in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've done. I did it professionally for corporations like Target, Macy's, and things like that. But I still design things. I don't. Right now, I'm doing more focus on the fine art, and uh, but the I still do things like clothing design and uh, occasionally doing talismans and a few other things. Uh, I don't do websites as much anymore. As I was thing, I do a lot of graphic design, but I just, I just don't have time. And there's so many new programs to learn that, you know, I, I'm getting older and it's harder to learn stuff. Wah. I know. <laughs> I don't have the time to practice the things I do. So every time I revisit a, a computer program that I haven't played with in two months, there's always that, oh, wait, how does this work again? So I am trying to, to cut back on the things that, I think in a blog post once you mentioned IRC, and usually anyone who mentions IRC, it's like a really telltale sign of being in Generation X. <laughs> I think it was the one that went out yesterday. Uh, yeah, I, I'm technically a zenial. I think that's the new word that we that we have. People were barred from 77 to 85. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in the. I feel like I'm in this really weird uh, interloping space. And especially since my brothers are seven and nine years older than me, so I was very much in tune with what they were up to and uh, didn't really feel like in the same group of whoever my peers are. But I'm always looking at what, what the younger folks are doing. I, I really love teaching teenagers uh, art, and, you know, dance, witchcraft, whatever it is. So that space in between. Hey, we're living in a liminal space. I think today you blogged about young people and about being at festivals and stuff. How, where do you think we are with the future of paganism? Is it something that is just getting older and is going to die out? Or is there that influx of young people coming to the craft and other pagan traditions? I think there's a huge amount of folks out there interested in the occult and witchcraft. Uh, it's taking on a new face and a new form, which is natural. There are things that uh, I think we're going to see dying out, but that's natural for any kind of movement. Um, they, there, there are definitely good ideas that will stick and the, um, the elders who will help teach those ideas, but then there are some things that aren't really responsible practices that we're still fi feeling the reverberations from. Uh, 
looking at various uh, consent and sexual abuse scandals, all these different things. We don't need these things anymore, and hopefully by the next generation, they will have basically eliminated a lot of these things from being anywhere, anywhere recognized or seen within the realm of paganism, witchcraft, etc. It's lofty thinking, but uh, I have a lot of hope. These, these kids, the kids these days, they're, they're very smart, and they have a lot of information at their fingertips. And I think they have a broader vision than, than even we did, definitely our parents before us. So. I, I think things are slowly getting better, um, but it's going to take a while. And, you know, that's always frustrating because we always want it to happen now, damn it. But at mm-hmm. least we're finally aware of the problems and talking about them publicly. And that wasn't the case 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it was more like, no, we're just going to hide it and pretend it didn't exist and, and maybe it will go away. Uh, and not that screaming everything out in the open is also the quiet way to do it. We have to find somewhere in between, which is calling attention to problems, but also being inclusive in the community. And it's it's definitely not something that we can put a Band-Aid on or that's going to fix overnight. You know, thinking about paganism 20 years ago, and I'm guessing you probably started 20, 25 years ago, sort of like me. What are the mm-hmm. biggest changes that you've seen in our community during that time? I know, it's um, hard questions. Well, I, I go back to thinking, uh, I think it was around 2001, I attended the Pagan Leaders Summit that happened in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, so many folks were there. Um, Isaac Bonowitz and Selena Fox and uh, Jerry Hildebrand and uh, so many more people. Uh, Dagonet Dewar, who was part of Pagan Pride. Uh, you know, all of these folks, I think about 40 or 50 people from all over the country got together to discuss the state of the state of the pagan union. <laughs> and there were, there were so many things that they were talking about, you know, trying to have programs for inmates, you know, for prisoners. How do you get um, pagan materials to them? How do we get the markers for uh, military graves that have pentacles on them? Uh, how do we create uh, forums where people can talk about these things? All, all of these things have come to pass in the last 20 years. I mean, we have more recognized churches, temples, uh, 5013C groups. Uh, we, we see a variety of symbols now on military gravestones that aren't just the cross or a Star of David and you know, so many programs. Uh, definitely more community outreach has happened. So, so there's that, and there's just, I think, a broader exploration of what does it mean to be pagan versus, oh, you know, you're going to be a hippie and you know, throw a pedicle on everything, and, and that's it. Well, that's all it takes, right? Tie-dye, a <laughs> pentacle, maybe a bumper sticker saying coexist, and then you're all done. Yes, oh yeah, and the patchouli. Don't forget the patchouli. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're a third-degree witch, just like that, boom. Those were the those were the days. Those were the days. We talked. We're talking a little bit about young people in the future. Are we giving young people the platform so that we can hear their voices? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about my personal experience. I remember when I was in my 20s and and 30s, it felt like nobody was ever listening to us. And sometimes I'm still not convinced anyone's listening to my generation at all. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I think it's even worse with some of the younger ones. Are we giving them a voice? How can we do that better? Where are we failing? I don't think we're giving them enough voice. Uh, as I just blogged about, uh, so many people were saying at the big two conventions that we went to that, oh, young people don't care about witchcraft or paganism. They're just not showing up. They're not interested in events, which is, uh, can I curse? <laughs> <laughs> to be on the safe side, complete utter BS. Right. Because uh, they really, if you, you just have to look at and search for witchcraft in modern media, right? You know, all these different articles, whether it's about the binding of political figures um, or basic witches or all these different things, they are, they're not talking to us. They are talking to, the, you know, the teens all the way to the early 30-somethings, and the majority of them are in their 20s. That's a huge group of people. And these are the same folks who are going to other kinds of conventions out there, like we uh, go to Dragon Con or steampunk events and you know, Comic Cons and all that. They're all there. They, they're, it's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of interest. It's a matter of are we reaching those folks. So I don't see how we can give them a platform if we're not even making connections with them in our, you know, our large gatherings. You know, the teams that we do have, the teams of 20-somethings, they are most often brought into it because their parents are pagan of some way, uh, or that they happen to have a friend who knew about the thing and they kind of passed along. But we're not marketing to those people. We're not, we're not definitely not acknowledging the power that they have. Uh, so how do we do that? I think it's... <sighs> It's definitely not an easy one-step solution, but we have to reach out and be present on those platforms and to be understanding and to listen. Uh, I, I think that's always been the problem is people want to just pass down the sense of, oh, respect me, I'm authority, I'm an elder, you have to do what I say. And that's not how community works. We always have to be listening in all directions uh, from the young people to the elders because that is how the flow of ideas works the best. Uh, that's how we problem solve the best. So in modern traditional witchcraft, the idea that we have tradition and also what is working in the modern world and blending those things together, that's how we keep growing. That's how we respect each other, uh, as well as our ancestors and the next generation. So reaching out, it's, it's going to take a different kind of marketing. It's, it's Who knows what other kind of media? I mean, I don't think too many uh, young people are looking at magazines the same way. <laughs> yeah. That we did. I, I, having been a, a you know a co-editor of a magazine, a print publication back in the day, I know there are only a few out there. You know, we know which is pagan and sage woman, which is definitely targeted to an older generation of uh, female identifying folks. Uh, so there, there isn't really that much in print media, though they are consuming books. So you know, it's almost like they don't even know about what's come before. Uh, and when you go to those new, the new, I could call them the Devo witch shops, which is, they're not quite, you know, our classic occult shops that are covered in herbs and purple and red and, you know, have that kind of warm, homely feel. They're more very clean. They're very white. They have brick. They have triangles everywhere. Everything's very orderly. Uh, those books, you know, they're from major publishers. They're not from the Wellen or Wiser or any of our, you know, the main pagan publishers. So, and uh, whether it's a matter, do we get the books in those bookstores? Do these folks not know about it? I mean, it's, there's so many different questions of 
how do we tap in? And I definitely don't have the answers. It's something I'm still trying to figure out. But I, I did join Tumblr, and I've been slowly figuring <laughs> out. So that's that's my my step. I. I, uh, I, I joined a couple of years ago, didn't get it, and then I kind of got the message. One of those, you need to do this thing, you need to figure it out. And uh, I actually, I'm starting to get used to that format and really enjoying the conversations of voices that I'm hearing on there and interacting with them. So maybe that's just part of it, is just one step at a time, reaching out and uh, talking and, and listening and being there when they have questions. Yay, witches of Tumblr. I don't know how to use Tumblr. I totally admit it. I can't I can barely use Twitter at this point. Oh, come on. Uh, you can you can do it. You, yeah, you'd think. You'd think. But you know, when you talk about like books from publishers that we're not really aware of or we didn't grow up with. I know that when Ari and I go to a bookstore and there's a witch book by somebody that we don't personally know, we're always like, Wow, who is this person? Why are they writing which books? Don't we know everybody? And that's just not always really the case anymore. No, they, you know, they, there's sort of this which is a lifestyle, uh, which is a psychology. Uh, it's a lot of things. It feels like the material in them is very much the same thing from the 60s and 70s of you know the feminist philosophy and uh, being socially aware, but it's just rebranded. Mm-hmm. And and you know again fits that aesthetic of this kind of nouveau witch look, and these people exist, and you know it's a, it's just a, the idea that there are so many options out there, but we're not all coming in at the same entry point. You know we're, we're not dialing up anymore on our fourteen point four modems and getting into the IRC chat room. You know there are people. <laughs> yeah. So. There, there are so many more doors, and it's, it's like if that there. I'm not a fan of gatekeepers. We don't want to say, you know, but if there's nobody, there's no greeters at those gateways, right? Uh, how do you get in touch with those folks, and and where do we meet somewhere in the middle? It's it's kind of a conundrum. We have to be available to say hello. Yes. And a lot of times, I don't think that we are. You mentioned sort of the witch nouveau, kind of the witch look. I know that just was it's been about the last three or four years at major sort of brand stores. We've seen this influx of sort of triple goddess necklaces and the things with moons and other sort of occult and witchy symbols on them. And they're not targeted for witches. They're targeted for the people who shop at free people, for lack of the name of a better store. And all these other stores that my wife will sometimes take me to. Are you does that ever bother you? I know a lot of witches are bothered. By that, I I don't think so. Uh, I think the I tend to have the more the merrier. You know, this is not a competition; it's more of a, a collaboration. You know, if we're all kind of reaching for a type of self empowerment as well as being more aware of community, uh, whether that is a pagan community or just in general, like the whole social cultural dynamic. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I like being able to go into the Target occasionally and be like, oh, look at this cute little shirt that's got moons on it. Or, you know, this is Cheers Witches on there. I mean, I'm not crediting at a pink convention in that. But, hey, you know, for the rare times I actually buy new clothing, it's like, oh, it's easier to get. I don't have to make it myself. So that's that's kind of what I say. And the more people who find out about this, I, I, I can only get better. Yeah, I I agree. 
can only can only get better. Sorry, my my brain is taking a nap. So it's always nice to talk to you about like where witchcraft is going and the future of the craft and all of those things. But I also want to talk about the future of Tempest a little bit. What are the next projects that you have coming out? Uh, well, besides the, the Witch's Altar with Jason Maggie. Wow, that's uh, going to be a great book, I'm sure. November <laughs> 2018. Uh, my fourth book, uh, I'm actually working on the second draft, which will be turned in shortly, is uh, uh, I'm currently calling it We the Liminal. That, that title might change, but basically it's about the path of the modern traditional witch. And that will be out, I believe, January 2019. And that is all about creating an authentic tradition of witchcraft for yourself in the modern traditional style. So examining your roots, your inspiration, uh, your location, uh, forming a system of moral and ethics, uh, considering timetable and schedule, and using all of those to craft your own path. So that I'm very, very excited about. And then perhaps after that, there might be some sort of divinationally based uh, card set. <gasps> coming. Yeah. Are you going to do so, all the cards yourself? I would hope. <laughs> well, you you know what, though? One never knows with the moon sometimes, you know? So this, that's going to be your fourth book with Llewellyn. How do you like working with Llewellyn? And don't worry, Alicia does not listen to this show. chance that they're going to change the name of your book?
there's it's kind of a split of is we the liminal something that is going to pick somebody you know interest somebody just for the title alone um or does it need to be something more uh simplified like a cup of a modern traditional witch or modern traditional witchcraft and i'm of the mind that if you're looking at something that is dealing with traditional witchcraft uh, that having a title that is intriguing uh is a it's going to interest, it's going to pique the interest of more people. And everyone who I've mentioned it to, I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, I would pick that off the shelf just to see what it's about. So, uh, that's my argument. <laughs> I, I always think that launch meeting sounds so much bigger than it really is. So, for those of you who don't know the process of Llewellyn, and I didn't know the process until I wrote them a book, is, you know, they you sign a contract to write a book, Sometimes you maybe have a little bit of it done first, sometimes you don't, and then you send the book in, and then they read it, and a bunch of people read it, and they send you a bunch of notes back, which are called the vision notes, and then you, sometime between the vision notes, which mean that, you know, you're going to have to rewrite parts of the book, and when those are due, they have this thing called a launch meeting, and it sounds like a super huge thing, and they really just talk about the title and what the cover's going to look like. Yeah, it just always sounds bigger than it really is. We're we're having your. It can call the countdown. Yeah. We're having the we're having the countdown. we're having the launch party or the launch meeting for your book, which you aren't invited to. But you know, I just thought you should know. Convocation in Detroit. Yes. What What were your thoughts on this year's Pantheacon 2018? I I had a really good time. You know, uh, Nathan uh, had comments. He's like, I really like the vibe of this year, and it's even like less stressful. Uh, I think that might have to do with that we didn't have a band as well to worry about. profile gets bigger you know you you've written books and then more books and things is it harder to be at a festival do you find that people are coming up to you more often and that 
your time is less and less your own? Yes and no. Um, I do take steps to make sure, uh, like, for getting to and from my booth, especially at uh, Pantheon, since the weather was nice this year, I was able to go up up and over uh, for those familiar mm-hmm. with the location. You know, that, that being outside for a little bit and, and taking the stairs when possible allows for some quiet time. And uh, I did the same thing at Convocation this year. Um, even though I was on the appropriate Hilton's floor, being on the third floor meant I was able to take steps. Uh, and uh, that was kind of nice and quiet. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of um, a little concerned about how my booth will be at the Panticon in the in as things spread out, people figure out that that lady with the art over there is also that lady who wrote the book who also did this ritual, who also did that class. Because uh, it's already pretty busy at the booth with folks who don't even recognize all of these things are connected. Uh, so I might have to um, come up with a clone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan does a great job of running the booth. He was awesome this year at, at PantyCon, especially. He was a as he says, he was rocking the Mr. Tempest role, and uh, I definitely appreciate that because it gave me time to, to eat and to attend a thing or two. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, the thing about being a, um, a priestess, if you mean for, for lack of a better word, is that you still want to connect with folks and, and be present as much as possible, especially when it's such a condensed, concentrated setting. Because uh, you might not see those folks again for another year. Totally. It's, uh, you know, and sometimes they go by so fast now, too. It's like you can say hi to somebody, and that, and then you don't really get to hang out with them. I mean, it just always feels like it's over in a blur. Yeah, I, I barely saw you at, uh, at Convocation. I mean, I saw you more at ghost out because the goodbyes take too long i just like to ghost let's say we'll say goodbye to about six people you're on the six people list but other than that it's it's ghosting it's it's not that it just it's just so emotionally exhausting to say goodbye to people because you love them and you're going to miss them and you know then you have to talk about all these about how much you're going to miss them talk that the attendance at Pantheacon was down this year, and I'm with you. I'm not really sure that it was, especially compared to last year. But what, you know, and I think a lot of people like to report on doom and gloom in paganism. Paganism is dying. Paganism is just not doing this or not doing that. You know, there's, it's like, why are you even here if you hate it so much kind of thing? But what do you think the future is for festivals like Pantheaconic Convocation. I think they're going to continue 
people who are in charge of them are willing to uh, get feedback and to look at new methods of expansion. Uh, and, and especially for Organicon, which you know, we're looking at in two weeks now, uh, that's a younger festival, and that whole entire team is all about uh, inclusiveness and accessibility. And we've seen that happen. I, I would say the biggest change for Convocation was, you know, you and I talked about some issues and some uncomfortable things that happened last year. Um, and I really felt like they were really trying to be on the ball about addressing, about consent, uh, and personal space, all these different things. Being able to change, being willing to change instead of just closing the door on it is a great sign, and it means that things will continue to change and evolve. So, and I think people love gathering, especially if we are hitting, if we are really coming into, um, I just, I was just delivering from Byron's new book, Earthworks, and she talks about the tower time in there a lot. And like, if we really are coming into the tower time, uh, which I think we are, then we're going to need community even more, which means we're going to need to gather. We're going to have to have each other's backs. And that might be big festivals. That might be more small festivals. But it's, you know, this is, this is spirituality. This is a lifestyle. This is how we live. It's not a hobby, uh, at least for, I think, the majority of people who attend. This is really more of who we are. And that's not going to go out of style. I mean, there are trends, but I think we're going to continue to want to grow and, find out new things and meet new people. So I think it's uh, it's definitely a good thing. And anybody who's saying it's dying is, is taking too much time looking at their underwear. Yes, and I'm not sure their underwear are clean, but we won't nope. get into that. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest changes in festivals the last five or six years, and in some places before that, has been the focus on consent culture. And just reading like the convocation Facebook page, there was a person there who was so angry about it. Now you have to ask everybody before you can hug them. And, you know, you have to like walk around like you're scared of everybody. And I mean, to me, that's not what it means. It means that you just don't, you don't touch people who don't want to be touched and you don't Mm -hmm. just assume that, you know, you have that you can touch anyone, you know, you can hug the people that you've always hugged. And you know when that's right and you know when that's wrong. Why are people so scared of consent culture? Is it just a lack of understanding? Is it a lack of personal growth? Dumbassery? Is it just dumbassery? I would like to make a Venn diagram of the people who have issues with clarifying consent with those who bitch about political correctness. Exactly. Thing and it, it is noteworthy because it means you're being conscious and considerate. 
Um, you know, I even thought about uh, during Hecate's Crossroads this year at uh, Convocation, there was a part where people were invited to come up to deal with the aspecting part of Hecate there. And some people got hugged and some people didn't. And I kind of like, well, you know, I have to personally wonder, did they feel pushed into that or is that what they wanted? And I think for most people, because I let them have their space, it was what they wanted. But it's still something I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, in the aftermath of what did the deity do? Right. <laughs> you know, deities and consent issues are a whole other thing that are uh, a fascinating exploration that could probably be a whole program unto itself. No, Pan, don't touch. A workshop. <laughs> so in a couple of weeks, you're going to Paganicon in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which I kind of think of now as the third big indoor festival of kind of the winter, late winter, early springtime season. And I've been twice and it's a great festival. I think you are the special guest this year or something like that? Or? Uh, no, no I, you're I not. Guest, I was a guest of honor last, last year. year. This year, I'm coming out and I'm presenting a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the, this festival, and so yeah, this will be my third year of attending. And uh, I like I like the the field of the event. It's, you know, it's smaller than the other ones, maybe five or six hundred people, though maybe it's more this year. Who knows? Um, but the the amount of diversity, the community that's expressed there. Uh, it really makes for a lovely setting. And Christian, folks in Minnesota, folks in Minnesota, they're just so nice. Don't you know? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing uh, some new stuff there. I'm doing the We Are Radia Empowerment Workshop and Ritual on Saturday. Um, leading on Sunday is going to be the art day where I talk about uh, doing a panel with other artists about the integration of magic and spirituality and art. And then I'll be doing poetry. Though venting takes like almost all of your time, really, during the day. It it does. Um, it's roughly let uh, me see the hours in here. I think it's like ten to six. Um, maybe no, actually starts I think twelve to six on Friday and ten to six Saturday. Who knows what it is on Sunday? Uh, but it's kind of a chill space because most people really. Uh, are involved in the workshops or the rituals, and then they come to our breaks. Uh, so it actually gives me time to, to talk with folks, and um, it's a smaller booth space, so usually just about one person can hold it down, so either Nathan or I can, can do that, and uh, can go off and explore. So, yeah, Friday, and Friday night we're performing with Suge, uh, S.G. Tucker, as part of the Friday night concert, uh, so that will also be a fun thing. Will Nathan have bananas this time? <laughs> we shall see. Uh, I'm looking at the schedule that I made for myself on Sketch, and I don't think I have <laughs> Nathan's events on my schedule. Because I know he's doing, uh, there's something he's doing on Saturday as a solo set, which may or may not involve bananas, but it will definitely involve cats and hats. But not cat in the hat. My wife doesn't go to anything of mine unless, you know, I'm like, I'm going to screw this up unless you're here. Please come to workshop. You know, I, I mean, I just, when I mean, we're married to these people, 
I think mm-hmm. that they've already seen it or heard it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not performing, but I think they initially had put on, like, Nathan doing his thing for, like, an hour, and then both of us doing a performance. I'm like, I, I think that's enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? We don't need to do all of this stuff. And I also like to give people a little break, you know? It's uh, something I learned in the ballet dance community, for sure, is that, you know, people get sucked into, oh, you have to be there every year. And, you know, present the same stuff every year. And it's like, no, you got to give other people a chance to present and uh, give people time to miss you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I really, doing three years in a row for Beganicon, I, just, I really enjoy the event. And uh, so it's kind of more of a, a mixture of personal and business to head out this year. So for next year, things might get changed up for other events. We shall see. You know, we're talking about three indoor festivals. What makes a good indoor festival? Is it the presenters? Is it the people? Is it the organizer? Like, where does it start? You know, where does that goodness originate from? Um, that's a great question. I know. That's why they pay me big money for this show. <laughs> uh, when I produced Waking for Stephanie, uh, people made the comment that the festival was so awesome because the producer uh, putting that energy into it and I've never really thought about that way because I don't think I do I don't do it for me you know I do it for the community and I think though that that is true though when the the festival is being put on for the community with really acknowledging and listening to the community it really shines uh, it really gives you that sense of inclusiveness um, and when diversity is re- represented so, you know, it's it's also a good location. You know, I think all, all three events that we've done or are coming up to with Paganicon, they're all it's a double treat. I know. It's like the official hotel of Pagan Festivals. <laughs> yeah, they're like, it's got trees on it. That's, that's a sign. That's it. All right. Uh, and all of those hotels have unique challenges and bonuses and benefits to the size of things. Um, and where things are located, but the fact that what I like about Ganicon is the hospitality suites are kind of on that second level. Yeah, like a, overlooking the pool, like you know, like on a deck almost. Yeah, it's like a part of an atrium. Mm-hmm. So instead of being hidden, like the, with Pantheon, you know, you have this kind of issue with the elevators and things being on the ninth and tenth floor, which you have to have a badge for, and then also the second floor, I think there are some right. things, you know, and so it's all those kind of, where are all the things, and at Ganicon, it's all in one area. Uh, convocation, you kind of had to know. I feel like, I don't think they have the hospitality suites listed in the program. No. Um, and that's kind of sad, because there are things like, oh, I didn't know about that, or I didn't sign about that event that was happening, and, you know, and you just happen to walk by, and like, oh, there's a lot of people in this room, I'm going to walk in, but the Oh, there's there's so many things, but it's that nice, easy setting that everything taking place inside of a hotel means you don't have to worry about, you know, <laughs> are you going to get rained on? Is there going to be ticks? Is there going to be poison ivy? Well, in theory, there should be flushing toilets, right? <laughs> and running water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That Are you talking about PSG again? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that's kind of the benefit of, a, of an indoor festival. Uh, as long as the water main doesn't break outside the hotel, everything is fine. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, it's true. I, I, there's there's a different energy, though, to an outdoor festival. It just feels kind of more primal and wild and alive. my turn and that was like the one festival I was like a VIP at the first and last one maybe oh I'm fine I'm just being sarcastic but you and you and Nathan are not natural campers either um, no you're you know, not I- I mean, I remember my first pagan festival, though, really. Well, I think I went to an outdoor one first, but I didn't know anybody there. But my first one where I actually knew other people was Convocation in Detroit. And there is something really nice about being able to see people's faces at midnight and getting a hot shower in the morning and having coffee readily and easily available. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot easier. And I'll admit, I'm kind of lazy. I I also think that usually I sell more books and like people go to more workshops and that's because it's easier to go to a workshop when you don't have to walk half a mile to poop. <laughs> There's your quote it right is. there. It's one I've used before. That's a it's an old Jason line, I'll admit. <laughs> are you doing any other festivals this year or are you doing another big tour soon? Nathan. And well, I told him, like, well, you know, we really only have bugs, so uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, 
taking a lighter summer this year to actually be home to focus on art. And I've already got bookings for 2019, so I'm just trying not to overbook myself. Yeah, all the festivals that I've always wanted to do ask me to do them this year while I'm going to be on vacation away. And it was, like, so heartbreaking. It's like, no, I, I can't go. It's in May. I'm going to be gone. And for long-time listeners, I will probably not be doing any shows in May because I'm going to go to, to Greece, damn it. And then I'll have lots of stuff when I come back. You know, just sorry. All the Greek. I'm sorry to bring up Greece, Tempest. It's, uh, sorry. You okay. know. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know we love you. You know that. Canada. 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 Yep. Vancouver's not too far. It's almost like Seattle. But it's Canadian. So one of the one of the questions I meant to ask you while we were talking about festivals, and I'll admit that it just kind of uh completely like slipped my mind. Are there any presenters that you enjoy seeing or interacting with in particular, people that you don't see very often? Oh, oh it's like picking my favorite cake. I know. Yellow cake with chocolate icing. That's the best. Oh, oh gosh. Um, it kind of sounds like I, I really like to see my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoy watching you present. Uh, Guion and Phoenix and Anar and Evo, Evo Dominguez for mm-hmm. base. Now on that. Um, and, ugh, I'm having a total brain fart moment. I, I don't get to see. Here's the thing. When I'm bending and presenting and doing so many things, I rarely get to attend uh, programming, which kills me because there's so much good programming, and I really want to shake my fist out. People are like, oh, I didn't see anything good on the schedule this year. I'm like, you, you need that. Mm. <clears throat> Give my finger to them. And because there's always something to learn. It's like what I love about Mini God's Lips, which is a hiatus this year, is there's only two or three things happening per time slot. And so you're like, well, what am I going to do? I will try this thing I wouldn't normally go to. And then you learn something. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, I like being able to, like, um, at the last minute, God's West, uh, Sean Donahue gave a presentation about the darkness. And uh, just so inspiring uh, to, to explore everything that he had to say about it. Um, at PantheaCon, I got to see Judica and Alicia do their thing. Uh, which was thoroughly entertaining. And so even funny. as a published author, I, feel, I learned things. Now I learned when people ask me questions about how to get published, I feel like I have so much more information to tell them uh, versus you know, just my own experience because they laid it out so nicely and uh, they're awesome people. So I like all the people except for the people I don't like. <laughs> I, I thought Judica and Alicia should do a podcast quarterly or something, just the way they sort of bounced off each other was so fun. If you don't know, for for listeners, Alicia Gallo is the acquisitions editor at Llewellyn for Witchcraft, and then Judica Isles does all of that plus more at Samuel Weiser. And as they say, we're not in competition with each other. We're friends, you know, and they just bounce together. It was really fun. It was, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And there was so much more I wish I could have gone to. But I have not yet perfected cloning or my location. 
Ari's trying to get the time turner that she bought to work. I told her it was a novelty, and it doesn't really work. She's convinced she can witch it up one of these days. If you drink enough whiskey, anything is possible. Yeah, if you drink enough whiskey, it, you know, it does feel like you can go back in time, but you don't really want to do that. Uh, we're about out of time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find out about you online? I wasn't asking you to to promote the last one necessarily, but thank you. Hey, it's a great website. Everybody should read it. <laughs> it's great. Tevis is always fun. Tevis's book, Sigil Witchery, is out now, and it is a runaway witchcraft bestseller available at all good bookstores and witch and metaphysical shops, and of course, also online. And in November, Laura's next book, The Witch's Altar, co-written with an idiot named Jason, will also be out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being on the show. It's always so great to have you. Thanks so much, Jason. <laughs> I know. I love you, too. Tell Nathan I said hi. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye. That's Laura Tempest-Zakroff. She is absolutely one of my favorite people in the whole world, and oh, I'm just... So thankful that she could be on the show with us. As always, thank you to the people at Witch School for hosting Raise the Horns Radio. Uh, the way February worked out, it's weird. This is the last day of the month, and it was the day of my show. I'll be back on the 14th of March and probably the 28th of March. Maybe I'll do two new shows in a month. That doesn't happen very often anymore. I hope you had a great February. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Stay tuned for um, On the Porch with, with Pammy, damn it, who would usually be talking to me right <laughs> now. Thanks. We'll see you next time. I'll pretend like I'm talking to you, like you're really here, or like we're actually talking to you, and, and you're not at Robert Plant. Oh, I am so jealous. But hey, I'm I'm jealous of I, I I get to live vicariously through through Jason the Bro Witch. Um, I get to have some fun with people from all over the place, but mostly tonight, right now, we're gonna we're gonna do what we do this time of year all the time is is talk to people from Paganicon. And hopefully you were able to catch the, the show last week and and uh, listen to Suge and some of the other people that will be there. Well. Tonight I have some more guests, and the first hour is going to be devoted to heathen women. Um, we have on the, the phone right now Lori uh, from Paganicon, and I have Kari Taring, but we're waiting for the other guestesses to show up. So I'm going to go ahead and play one of Kari's tunes. Kari has been a, a frequent guest on Lunatic Mondays with Laura Gonzalez. Uh, who speaks very highly of Kari. Uh, so I'm, this is my first time getting to meet her. So I'm excited about her. And hopefully you've caught her on Laura's show and uh, you're already fans. If not, well, I'm here to try to make you a fan. This is Kari's song, Klokanasma.
means can you can you enlighten us and welcome to the show oh thank (laughs) you so much and thank you for having me it's just such a pleasure to um be able to to talk with you and your esteemed listeners um yeah klokana small klokana is bell and small is little and it refers to the lily of the valley as a uh it's a flower the spring flowers and that's because the lily of the valleys have these tiny little white bells and and that song um cloakana small is um a traditional um it's a norwegian interpretation of a traditional english carol um that a lot of people maybe know and that is the white coral bells upon a slender stalk. Lily of the valley, grace my garden walk. Oh, if I only could hear them sing. That will only happen when the fairies sing. Yeah, when if you can hear them ring when the fairies sing. So it's a um, oh. out of a Norwegian children's book that I took the um, the words and tune are the words from Norwegian, and then I put a sort of my, it's my response to the folk child's wish to hear them, and it is what happens when they actually start to sing. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the, I, I, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, I was talking to you off mic about how, You've been a guest on on Laura Gonzalez's Lunatic Mondays, and and we really appreciate that. But I haven't had a chance to listen to any of those shows, so this is like me learning about Kari. Uh, Lori, you and I talk like about once a year. (laughs) Lori from Pagonicon. So I I have both of you. We're still waiting for Patty and Diana, hopefully, to to call in tonight, uh, trying to reach them. 
I'm glad that you're here tonight. I'm wondering, I'm, I haven't checked to see if Mercury is in retrograde because <laughs> you're saying that you're having computer problems and uh, the other guests haven't haven't called in yet. Um, oh, but the computer problems we just, are just uh, the computer problems are just uh, half of it. I just found out all my Outlook accounts were hacked this morning, and of oh, course I found oh, no. all my. How my bank and my credit card notifications are sent to my oatmeal on my Outlook account. So, you know, if they had to look at my deleted emails, which I did not trash, which I should have, shame on me. Um, so, I was oh boy, oh no, this morning. So between that and my computer, I'm like, okay, what else is going to go wrong? And two weeks before it began, God, it's not a good thing. So. Uh, well, two weeks before Paganacon, and while we're here for the next two hours, we don't have to worry. Well, almost two hours. We don't have to worry about that stuff because we're we're hanging out on the porch. I got the the fire going. I got I got my iced tea, <laughs> and uh, we're just going to talk about Paganacon, which I you know you and I were talking off mic, Lori. It's like one of these days I'm going to have to come up there. I. It's so weird because I lived in South Dakota for such a long time. And if if states had suburbs, South Dakota would be a suburb of, of Minnesota. Because <laughs> it seems like, like it, 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 South Dakota, well, I was West River, so it seemed, which is like on the, you know, on the farther side from, from Minnesota. And it's far more ranching and and touristy and you know Sturgis a lot of people know Sturgis bike rally that's out there Mount Rushmore if you want don't want to sound like a tourist you call them the faces uh Wyoming but it's right there on the border um but it's so many people uh, have family or or come to South Dakota from Minnesota so it feels like it's almost like a, a, a sister state and I never made it out there. I, I worked for Southern Minnesota broadcasting <laughs> at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's out of Rochester. I think that's Rochester, where we were. Sure. Yeah. But I haven't made it out there. And the one thing that some people know but some people do not know. They they probably don't think a lot about Minnesota as being having the concentration of pagans that it has. You know, some people it call does. it Paganistan. Yeah. Paganistan, well, yeah. It was... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Paganistan and Llewellyn is there too. So, But there is. And Paganicon is, is a, you know, the big con that you guys have every convention that you have every year so that's a, a, a takeoff for you <laughs> to tell us more about <laughs> okay so <laughs> yes we do live here in Paganacon um, but Paganacon is a pagan conference and, and I'm just going to point out to you is that even though our conference is located here in the Midwest we don't see, uh, in the sense we don't think I don't think anybody on the Twin City Pagan Pride Board thinks of us as solely serving the Twin Cities or the Minnesota community uh, by itself. To us, I mean, what we do, we hope that we make an impact on 
participate in community on a greater wide world network. So um, that's that always been our goal. But um, Pagan Pride uh, comes, or the Twin City Pagan Pride hosts this event, the Gamacon, every March. It's our spring event. It's a three-day uh, pagan conference that we hold, and it's coming up March 16th through the 18th. We hold it at the Double Place, Park Place Hotel in St. Louis Park. Um, it's organized, as I said, by Twin Cities Pagan Pride. We have many wonderful volunteers that provide and um, that help us out with this event. Our goal is to provide an, an education and social venue for pagans, um, Wiccans, heathens, druids, um, people of many different belief systems. Um, and if you come to the conference, you can attend workshops and panel discussions on a multitude of pagan-related topics. We have a great list of uh, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable speakers and presenters this year from all over the U.S. and Canada. I can pretty much guarantee you will learn something new. Uh, you will find sources of inspiration and share in discussion with like-minded folks. Uh, we also have many wonderful rituals that are happening all weekend long. Um, in, included in that lineup is, an, is a main opening ritual. It serves as a bonding moment for the community, regardless of tradition, and it's a way to segue into a magical and intentional mindset for the rest of the weekend. Uh, so all of our workshops and rituals, everything that's happening on the, during the weekend is posted on our website. If you go to www.pagaticon.org, you'll find all that information there. Uh, besides the rituals and workshops, we have a lot of pagan community, uh, community groups that will be hosting party rooms throughout the weekend. Uh, they provide a, a welcoming social, social space for all of our conference attendees. That's a, per, that's a really great place to hang out and make new friends. Our Paganicon 218, 218 theme this year is Fire and Ice. Uh, many people who come to the event for our Equinox Masquerade Ball will come in costume, which is held on Saturday night, and they'll use our theme to inspire them. There's also a Friday night concert and an art show called The Third Offering, a sacred gallery space. space. Artists from all over the U.S. will be displaying and selling all types of visual media. Uh, the art gallery is free and open to the public, and we also have a wonderful vendor room with uh, lots of vendors selling all kinds of wonderful wares. And that is also free and open to the public as well. So that's awesome. kind of a, in a nutshell what about. <laughs> um, we have one of our guests that is going to come with us tonight, Kari Twain, and, and I'll let her talk a little bit more about herself later. Well, but we I wanted to let you know that we do have Diana. She she has called in and she's with us okay. now. Okay. So and I, Kari Kari I, said I, that she. <laughs> I so Diana, welcome to the show. I have Diana. I have Lori. And I have Kari Taring, who uh, she was saying that she she ran into you. She saw you last April. Uh huh. Diana. Yes. Marvelous <laughs> afternoon. Um, 
but Diana, you're you're one of the guests of honor, correct? Yep. Is this your first Paganacon? Yes, it will be. I've been through Minneapolis a couple of times, but never really been in it. Oh, cool. Well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> um, I was going to say, Lori, when we were talking about all the, the pagans that are in Minnesota, uh, you hear my South Dakotan come out when I start talking about Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> uh, there there seems to be, and Kari can can speak on this too, uh, I think part of the reason why why there is far more pagans there is because because of the um, the Norse, the Nordic, the the there's a lot of Swedish you know people of Swedish descent and and it seems almost and the the, the uh, it seems almost like it 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 lends itself to like the Viking <laughs> type of mentality, the heathen type of mentality. And Kari, yeah, you, can you speak on that a little bit? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I can speak to that. Yeah, we have a um, Minnesota was a very um, a targeted spot for immigrant populations. Um, just between 1860 and 1910, 800,000 Norwegians and similar numbers of Swedes and um, Finns and Germans came to settle in that area, and Danes, of course. So, um, and that's one of the the pieces that um, I think has connected to um, our our Nordic folkway um, is still quite alive in Minneapolis. If you want to dance. Uh, folk dances from the Nordic countries. You could dance pretty pretty much at least once a week with once or twice a week with a different culture group. And the folk music is still very much alive here. We have a Hardanger Fiddle Association and a Nickel Harpalog, and a we have um, quite a lot of of really um, really uh, amazing culture groups and culture preservation associations. And mm-hmm. while that doesn't always turn out, um, you know, pagan out of its, out of its uh, core, but mm-hmm. it, but it turns out a lot of people who um, have, who have maintained their pre-Christian folk traditions without um, having to identify them that way. So, so for me, it's been really fascinating because in my work, I've had equal numbers of um, teaching and presentation opportunities in heathen or pagan spaces as I have in Lutheran church basements. So it's it's <laughs> quite a. I can I I I understand. I really do. Yeah. I you know, having lived in South Dakota, I'm laughing because yep. I I know that we had we it, it's it's amazing how the culture is is always there in in Minnesota yeah. and South Dakota and North Dakota. Um and Wisconsin. I think Diana. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 
No, I was going to say, I was one of those kids who grew up in those Lutheran church basements, so I'm very familiar with those basements. <laughs> Is that Lori? <laughs> I, I was going to say, uh, one of our, the early members of Krafnar Kindred was Swedish-American, and he had a lot of uh, folk customs that he brought to us, and uh, when his mother said, how could you abandon the traditions of our people? He said, well, you mean like planting the birch tree in the front yard and having the stone for the tomta by the hearth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. You were speaking yeah. to, to things that I... I say I say a lot because I you know I had, I'm a military brat I've, I've moved around a lot but I was raised in Europe at, at least part of the time and when you see the old ways are still there you know like you were you were talking about right. it's it's hard to to separate <laughs> um, and it's nice that it's yeah. interwoven I like the fire and ice theme. Um, <laughs> I'm also really excited to to get to know more about Diana. Uh, you, I, I'm looking at your. I mean, I I I, I know the name. <laughs> I'm looking at your bio on the Paganicon. If you want to, anyone who wants to look up the the website, it's in the information of the podcast. Uh, or if you don't have that available, it's pay, Paganicon.org. And Diana is. Um, I'll give I'll give the quick introduction. You write fiction and not nonfiction. An elder, a teacher, a leader in the heathen pagan communities. Uh, you've been over, you've been doing the pagan stuff since the early seventies, which is awesome. Yep. Dark Moon <laughs> Circle, nineteen seventy eight. Um, you know, founded that. Um, looking through, there's so much. <laughs> Diana, I would take the rest of the show trying to, to say all the different things that you've done. Um, one of the things that I find uh, interesting is is your continuing the uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley's Avalon series, which is not an easy task because they're they're loved by so many people, and I've heard I have I have to admit I haven't read them, but I have heard people love them. Uh, and just your, your, your pedigree here is amazing. You've uh, got the, the taking up runes, uh, essential true. I hear true, and I try to, um, true. I, I try to tell people what that is and I don't know enough to tell them other than it's heathen. It's, the Norris ways. Can you can you give me, and and I'll ask Kari too her her take on this. But Diana, <laughs> certainly, um, the the elevator pitch is that uh, while most people, uh, if they know anything about neo paganism, uh, what they've heard of is Wicca. Uh, in more recent years, there have been a, uh, has been a lot of interest in what we call reconstructionist paganism, in which the group mm-hmm. is working with the, the traditions of one particular culture. And of these, uh, heathenry or Asatru is, uh, I think, the, the earliest to get a foothold and perhaps the largest. It definitely seems yeah. that way. I have a lot of friends that are drawn to it or, or part of it. Um, but there's just... 
I know that it's it's one of those. I'm I'm trying there there's uh, there's controversy. <laughs> I know uh, a big I I had Galena Kreskova used to do a show with with us here on Pagans tonight, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she would have a lot of. Uh, she she tried to opinions. be. She does have a lot of opinions. And not everybody likes her opinions, uh, but she's that's one of the things that I like about her is that she's going to not cave to other people's opinions. Um, you know, the one of the things that she had an issue with is, you know, people who, who came to these paths through the comic books, through, through Thor and Loki on, on the, the big screen and stuff. Um, but that's what most people know about this. How do you get people who who come to this this belief away from the folklore? Like I, I had the, the the not folklore because that's what you want, but the the uh, the myths and the one of my friends posted a, a thing about how the Viking horn helmet just got uh-huh. popularized with uh, opera, with Wagner and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it, it's not, the, the the Vikings didn't have those. <laughs> How do you? Well, the Vikings, the Vikings didn't. Actually, in about the 7th century, uh, there were helmets with these kind of horned things on them, probably worn for ritual, um, which mm-hmm. may have been where the opera people got the idea. But nobody in their right mind would go uh, into a battle with things sticking out on the side of your helmet. No. <laughs> they would be sword catchers. <laughs> yeah. But, but but both both the uh, the ritual helmets from the seventh century and uh, of course the Knights Templar uh, had uh, uh, tournament helmets. And in the Middle Ages, you had tournament helmets with things stuck all over them. But uh, but no, not for battle, and not the actual Vikings. So how do you some of the, how do you go ahead? Okay, um, the gods are sneaky, and they will get you any way they can. Uh, before we had the comic books, we had Wagner, and a whole generation got attracted because of Wagner. Uh, the the people who are hearing the call will find them through the uh, comics or wherever, and then they will keep looking. And uh, I hope that then they find the lore, they find books, they um, they start reading everything they can get their hands on, and uh, they will eventually find people who actually can turn them on to the, the real sources. We are fortunate in heathenry because, because the uh, Icelanders were so uh, such a, a strong literary tradition. Uh, we have more uh, actual information about uh, how heathenry was practiced, even though it was not written down until uh, they had converted to Christianity. But they remembered a lot, and they uh, continued a lot of the old ways. Uh, we so we've gotten really more from the Germanic tradition than we have any others. Uh, except for the Greeks, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. in, in as far as I can, I, I studied a lot of the Celtic stuff before I got into heathenry, 
and we really seem to have more actual information on practices from the North than we do from the Celts. Their monks were, were better at suppressing stuff. Right, and that's that. You know, I, I sit here and I talk about you know heathenry being fraught with a, a lot of controversy. We're not going to get into the Celtic stuff. A lot of the misinformation that people have about the Celtic beliefs uh, is it was popular. Right? Pop, you know, we like I said, we're going to talk about heathenry. Um, and one of the things that I think that a lot of people find daunting, I know. Uh, talking to Galena is people didn't want to do the footwork. They they didn't want to read, like you were saying. They didn't want to look and 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 learn uh, about. Um, and I'm looking. I'm trying to find Kari. How you what you've done to help it uh, help people learn about heathenry and and Nordic folk stuff. You 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 were an educate educator too. Uh, you've written mm-hmm. and you're you do it through music as well. Can right. you? Yep. Uh, here, here's this is what I was looking for: is your your study of runes and ancient texts began making your way into music life and uh, reconstructing the staff. What? Tell me what that means, the staff. Um, yeah, you know, um, okay. my I. I came to heathenry through the folk um, traditions that were practiced by my um, family of origin. So, um, mm-hmm. so there's still a, a, a living tradition of the um, music and dance and language traditions, um, and. When I was uh, in, in my undergraduate linguistics program in the late 80s um, is when I started studying runes and Norse mythology. And um, it was, I, and I'm sure you'll get a kick out of this being from around here, but it it's the moment that I say that it's like the the left the scab got kind of peeled off my my <laughs> heritage, and I saw this whole piece underneath it. And um, so, a lot of the um, so it was in 2003 that I started to really um, combine my life as a folk musician and the runes. And using the stav, staff and stav and tain or staff and wand for rhythm instrument for rhythm making, along with breath and rune chant and um, aligning the physical body with the nine worlds of the world tree, and it became a fully fledged system. Within a few uh, years of practice, I started teaching. And um, so I've been teaching since 2006 um, and developing it. And, you know, the work of Diana's, you know, Diana's uh, work in this area um, is, has been incredibly foundational for anybody studying um, Norse tradition 
Diana's work and uh, the work of the Troth um, has been is just a fantastic uh, resource for anybody who wants to study this, whether they're heathen or not. They will get a lot out of the Troth Lore program or uh, all the the different things that the, the different books and things that Diana has offered and. Um, so my expression of it is really a product of um, the, the, the really diverse community that I exist in. So from the folk dance and music communities to the heathen community to the pagan community to the Lutheran churches, I have, um, I have been recon- I have been, I carry the staff of the Urlog of a full range of the people of my heritage. Um, so, okay. so what that means, yeah, so what that means is is I, ha- I know the genealogies and the stories of my family, of my community, of my state, um, not just the heathen stories, but the, the stories of how um, settlers came into the into Minnesota and the interaction of native and settler communities. Um, so all of these pieces create the urlog that I sit with and carry, and the um, shield or debt that I owe and that we as settlers owe to the um, land and to the people of this uh, original to this land is part of part of the work that I do on a daily basis um, and uh, I'm so fortunate to have uh, the Volvastov Guild now is um, has been active since 2012 and we just took new four new apprentices so there are eight cool. of us women, two, two in Wisconsin, one in southern Minnesota, and the rest of us in, um, in the Minneapolis area. So really, um, and we all will be at Paganicon. All the whole guild will be there. Yay. And, uh, I'm very, very excited. I, just, I, I'm ex- yeah. I, I bet. I just got chills when you started talking about that because kind of like what Diana was saying, if the gods will – will make themselves present, will make their, their will happen. And I, I, I hear that and I witness that a lot with people who, who follow Asatru and, and the, the Nordic ways um, because the gods seem to, to be, you know, not saying that other gods are not as, as present, but the, I think that there's a lot of energy given to those gods. Diana, one of the things I found really interesting about what you were saying about Iceland um Maybe people know it, maybe not, but uh, Isanasatru is, is considered uh, one of the one of the the official religions of Iceland. Correct. So Iceland is you know really interesting. Iceland, like mm-hmm. many of the Scandinavian countries, uh, originally had the the state giving money to the church. Well, they expanded this uh, in 1957. Uh, there was a petition to make Asatru an official religion. 
So ever since then, Asatru has gotten some money, or the, the, the Asatru Afenagis has gotten some money for everybody who signs up as pagan, or as Asatru. Cool. And so, so everybody is sort of uh, assumed to be Lutheran, but they can go down and, and switch. Well, that, the numbers have been growing. And Iceland is not a large country in population, and I think they were up to about 2,000 people last I heard, which is significant. Yeah. Wow. That's it is. It's, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about the 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 uh, Asatru Church in in Iceland, and I, I think it's it's awesome. Um, I'm I'm sitting here listening to to you guys talk about uh, heathenry and 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 I want to learn, and I am so jealous because anyone that's going to Bagandacon is going to have such a meeting of of like-minded people and, and resources and the the events and and they'll be able to be fully immersed not only and Lori will tell me not only in in heathenry. Uh, there's other other traditions and and views that are, will be uh, presented, but just the the fire and ice theme and having Diana there and Kari there and the music and the and the stories. I I have to ask though because it seems like runes are such so important, but I don't understand. Can, why? Uh, I, I guess I'll start with Diana, and I'd like to hear Kari's take on okay. this. Why are, why are, why are the runes so important well, to? When, mm-hmm. when, okay. So I kind of got recruited by Odin in 1987, uh, much to my <laughs> surprise, and I, uh, I was, you know, a good a goddess worshiper, perfectly happy. Uh, but I thought that if I was going to uh, work with Odin, I needed to have a cultural context, and that probably the best way to, to begin would be by studying the runes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I knew that the way to make sure that I kept at it would be to get a group together. And fortunately, the Bay Area is full of wonderful people, and all I had to do was say, hey, I'm going to start a rune class who's interested to get 15 really great people, including Tom Johnson, who could actually read and pronounce Old Norse, which was really, really helpful. Yeah. (laughs) uh, The first room class uh, was a great success, and I discovered that in the course of exploring all the meanings that might be associated with each of those uh, terms, each of those names, we ended up covering the basics of the culture. And and ah. those that class that original class was the basis for what eventually became my book, taking up the runes. Um, so, the, the the runes, if you look at not only what the rune poems say about them, but if you then explore what each of those uh, terms means in the culture, ice, for instance, um, all mm-hmm. of, all of the implications of ice. Uh, you learn a lot, and you can also find uh, each of the, root, the, the different runes will introduce you to the, the gods, to the giants, to the dwarves and the other the land whites, uh, to some of the major legends. 
um, it, it really is extremely useful as a, a way of getting into the culture. Um, one of the things I found interesting, and, and you can correct me if, if I've been uh, mis- ma- uh, misinformed, is that the sun is considered a feminine force in yep. with the runes? Okay. Can you speak on that a little bit? Why why um, when when a lot of a lot of pagan and wicca sun is masculine moon is feminine why is the okay they they mm-hmm. all they all okay the, the people who wrote the early books on mythology all had classical educations and they assumed mm-hmm. that uh, all pagan religions must be set up in much the same way as the greco-roman system so that's one reason the other reason i think is geographical uh, if you look at, at the, the lands around the North Sea, in the Baltic countries in particular, uh, not only is the sun female, but she is, is the major goddess in the system. Uh, mm-hmm. She's not quite so important in, in the North system, but uh, it's easy to understand why uh, you would think of something as warm as being feminine if you lived in the far North. Right, because you know she brings the warmth and she brings fertility, and when you have a, a shortened grow growing season, and yeah, because yeah, yeah, so I could see that there, there is it, it, there is actually if you look through uh, the the folklore and the various writings, there are are enough references to. Uh, a practice practices of honoring the sun. She doesn't play much of a role in the mythology as a person, but uh, there are references to going the, when you go outside first thing in the morning, you salute the sun. So uh, yes. it's clear that she was an important part of the way people interacted with their world. Norse traditions also really are likes to have things. Um, Masculine, feminine, feminine, masculine, feminine likes to make sure that there's a very um, uh, patterned balance between those energies. So mm-hmm. the the day is the god dog, and dog uh, after dog comes um, it, well, Suna, then the sun goddess. And then Mani, the moon, and then and Noth, the, the is the female goddess of the night. So they they really like to um, we really like to have things uh, well balanced um, and ener- energetically balanced. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a that's a a piece of it for me. The runes are so essential to the cultural traditions of Nordic people because they are the oldest scriptural reference for us. And when I was a young woman in the 80s looking into these uh, symbols, they made so much sense to me based on where I live, you know, because with runes for lake and cow and birch and ice, and hail and you know these mm-hmm. things that I live I grew up in and live in the runes themselves um, uh, resonate with the landscape that um, my people both came from and settled 
into when they got to this to the Midwest to this area. So so they're very important, um, and our relationship with them models our relationship with nature and with one another in community, as well as with uh, deity. They're they're also extremely useful. So, uh, for instance, either galdering them, which is chanting them, basically, uh, or drawing them as mind runes, especially. Uh, they, they're wonderfully varied and useful tools for various kinds of magical practice. Uh, and in particular, I use the runes a lot in healing work. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. We. I want to hear more, but but I wanted to. We have like ten minutes left before the next hour, and I, I I do. This is this is exactly what I would like to have happen. Is is I want more, and if only I could get to Minnesota, <laughs> to the Minneapolis, to the the, the Twin Cities, to Pecanicon, I could hear more. And this is this and more, is what is waiting for you. When when you go, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and and let Lori speak some more specifically on how we're weaving in what uh, Kari, Diana, and the other guests are bringing to Paganicon. You you heard her. Thank you so much for your 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 information, your background that you've given us, both of you, Kari and and Diana. You're very welcome. So, Lori. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Yes, and and exactly. I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, this is a it, what you've been listening to for the last half hour or so um, is exactly what the kind of conversations you will find at Paganicon. Um, besides these two wonderful ladies, um, we also have uh, Patricia Lafave is an author of two books. Um, she's another of our guests of honor. She's uh, a practical heat. She wrote the book A Practical Heathen's Guide to Africa, and she also wrote the book uh, Freya Lady Manadus and an, an, an introduction to the goddess. She wrote those two books. She's been a pagan for more than thirty years and a practicing heathen for twenty years. So she will be there. Um, we also have a little bit of different. Um, Belize is done with that Francisco Brujo Luis, but he is the Puerto Rican Brujo, Brujo, um, that's witch for English, as well as a medium channel, little thing of Puerto Rican, a spirited, um, I'm probably going to butch- butcher this uh, <laughs> language, um, a spiritismo Criola, Criolo, Boloric. Like Creole. Yeah, spiritual Creole. Yeah. Yes. So, um, tradition. So he will be there. Um, now you've got two guests of honor. One of the, we've got two special guests, and Chris Shelton is the one that hope we hope to be speaking to next hour. He is an author, professional YouTuber, public speaker, and a former cult member turned activist. And he was uh, part of the Church of Scientology. He worked at its highest level for 17 years before leaving in 2013. And he's been an outspoken critic ever since. So he'll be joining us. I'm sure he'll have some interesting um, stories and and, and, um, maybe some good advice for for people who come to 
uh, Pagannikon. Yeah. We also we also have a Daphne Puyak. Now she is a a Cree storyteller and medicine woman from the Street Grass Reserve in Saskatchewan, Canada. She will be there. Um, we cool. also have yeah, and we have yeah. Corey, who you heard from earlier, um, and she's she's been. I have to say, Corey's been a wonderful part of our events, not just at the Ganacon, um, not just this one in the past one, but she's also done a lot to support our fall events and for the Twin City Pagan Pride fall event that we have every year, too. So we really appreciate her. Um, we also have members of an of a entertainment troupe called the Viking Encampment coming out. They are... Cool. Uh, yeah, so they're they're based out of the the out of the Minnesota Minnesota Renaissance Festival. They go to a lot of festivals and they have this little entertainment thing that they do. Um, but they focus on educating audiences on Viking history, warfare, culture, and crafts, and so on. So that's kind of our lineup. Um, we also have for uh, music. We have Esther Cooper, who will become our Friday. Yay! I know I love Esther. Esther, uh, she was actually at the Anacon back in 2012. And you know, every year uh, <laughs> when we when we talk about okay, who are we bringing back, everybody says, "I'll bring Esther back." We just loved her. We just love her. Well, so this year we're bringing her back for one of the Friday night concerts. Um, so she will be there for the Friday night concert. We also have music at the um, Equinox Balls, Equinox Masquerade Ball. We've got a local band, um, uh, the Tea Time Machine. It's a local band. They're a local dance band, and they're going to help everybody dance the night away at the, Equinox, at the Equinox Masquerade Ball. So that should be a great oh, time. Cool. So, Oh, and next hour, we also have uh, one of your guests as well, uh, who's one of our hosts here on Pagan yes. Tonight on alternating uh, Wednesdays. I used to, I used to be on every Wednesday, but I, I went to alternating Wednesdays. <laughs> but uh, she, she was on last Wednesday interviewing Paganicon people, and she's going to be a presenter, and that's Dr. Susan from uh, from All Acts of Love and Pleasure. Really, I spoke to her a little bit on Facebook about what she's uh, going to be presenting. So I'm really excited to talk about if anyone who listens to all acts of love and pleasure knows that Susan, Dr. Susan and Michael Gray will focus on pagan um, relationships, sexuality, um, things, you know, that type of uh, things to think about. And uh, I'm not going to give, Away too much. I'm going to wait for for Dr. Susan to come in and talk about her. You were talking. I'll, I'll just go ahead and give a little bit of tease. We were talking about uh, pagans like to have that balance between male and female. Well, our culture is turning into one with a lot more gender fluidity. And how do you deal with that? So there's the tease. Um, because some people, you know, some people are having a hard time with that. <laughs> so how oh, do you make your areas you know gender fluid non-conforming friendly and hopefully i gave gave a uh, proper respect to to that topic um i i wanted to ask one last thing before we wrap up this hour um 
from from but Diana and Kari mm-hmm. uh, because it's Heathen Woman Hour. <laughs> the the role of women when we think about about Vikings and we think about the Norse ways, there's there's we talked a little bit about the the sun being feminine. You don't hear a lot in popular culture about the role of women and the strengths and what they bring to the community. I'll start with Diana. Can you give me a little bit and, and a well, little first, bit of, of, yeah, go ahead. Uh, first, uh, in the, in, in Iceland and in Norse culture in general, uh, up until, up through the middle, up until really the 20th century, uh, in the old days, Germanic women had a higher status than women in any other part of Europe, and they had mm-hmm. more rights. Uh, so I, I found that inspirational in the early days. Uh, and in the modern period, heathenry has had a lot of really strong women. Uh, both I and Patty LaSalle have been steerswomen of the troth, for instance, and uh, I never had any trouble... Um, ex- ex- exerting myself. Um, <laughs> so the, the troth in particular has always had uh, some strong female leaders. So I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, I don't know how the other Reconstructionist groups uh, function, but certainly uh, I think we have a pretty good record. Yeah, I would agree. I Kari? would say that. Um, yeah, I would say that um, uh, people who don't think that there is a lot of, um, you know, representation of women in in Norse old Norse culture aren't from that culture <laughs> or came to it through Marvel comics. <laughs> um, yeah, and I I also wanted to to speak to that gender fluid piece. Um, these energies of male and female energies are not gender specific energies. They're not mm-hmm. related to genitalia. They are related to energetic imprints. So each person, for example, within the folk dance, um, you have someone who's an impulse and someone who's a balance piece, somebody who starts, uh, the turning move and somebody who um, balances the turning move out. You have um, uh, not such rigidity in in um, wild mm-hmm. people in reenactment cultures. Viking reenactment culture speak to it as a very binary culture. It was binary in terms of... Um, the assignation of of gender energetics to specific jobs uh, and specific clothing and things, but not in terms of um, people's, you know, what's under their pants, you know, or whatever. It's 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 um, yeah. really a, a later later cultural adaptation to make it specific to physical gender. So. There's there's so some place I want to go. <laughs> there's some place I want to go with this that maybe uh, the the uh, the woman from Saskatchewan could probably uh, lead to as well because you were talking about Minnesota and the the native 
the indigenous people culture and there's that that same type of you know uh connection with the earth and the the hunter uh and and the the gender fluidity in that I, you know here we go Lori, this is why you go to Mechanicon, yeah. because you can learn about this, and you can talk about this, and I am so jealous. Let's go real quick, um, give a give a super quick plug of how people can find out about it. I know I've already mentioned it, but you can't mention it enough. And then I'm going to no. go ahead and play, um, I'm going to play Kellyanna's Freya, because that's what's speaking to me, and we'll go into the next hour. And uh, and please, Kari and, and Diana, stay on the line. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, wrap wrap up with you, uh, and and okay. offer a, an invitation to come back to any of our shows anytime in the future. Um, but Lori, your turn. Tell us yes. about Paganicon. <laughs> so <laughs> Again. go to the website www.paganicon.org. You will find everything you need to know about the event. You're going to find your schedule. What's happening all weekend? You're going to find all the wonderful information about who's appearing or guests of honor, our future guests, or special guests, the entertainment that you will find. You will also find information about our rates. We have weekend rates um, and day rates. If you can't make it for an entire weekend, not to worry. You can come Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or whatever days you can make it. We also do have special rates for uh, children, we have special rates for teen and young adults as well. We do have a track for children's programming and um, teen young adult programming as well. Uh, so that is um, an option that people might want to consider if you can't make it during the day or if you're just interested in um, being part of the nightlife and listening to the music. We do have uh, a separate rate for the Friday night concerts only. We also do have a separate rate for the uh, Saturday Night Equinox Masquerade Ball. So those are op- also options. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of anything else that people might need to know. Oh, the, the hotel is lo- located at the uh, Doubletree Park Place Hotel in St. Louis Park. I believe there are still rooms available, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they sell out quickly. So um, because we are already <coughs> have a lot more people coming or a lot more people registered uh, at this time than we did last year at this time. So we're already looking at um, an increase in attendance again this year. So Yay! Yay! I know, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, what a lot of people don't realize about Veganicon is when we first started in 2011, we only had about 100 and, let can see, we had about 100 and, uh, the second year, we nearly doubled that number to 263. We've increased mm-hmm. our numbers about 20% every single year since then. So last year, we had um, almost, six, almost 650 in attendance. And as I said, we're on track to increase that number again this year. So we just keep growing and growing as people find out more and more wow. about them. We've been we've been with you. Uh, Pagan Tonight's been with you pretty much not since Selena was your your guest of honor. So I think this is my third or fourth year of it um, is, and it's been fun. Yeah. And I I have to say thank you so much for you know letting us come on and invade your airspace for 
one night a year. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. So, I look forward to it. It's like this time of year I know I get to, to find out about Paganica. And one day, I know you keep inviting me, one day I will be there. <laughs> I will be there. Well, um, let's yeah. Come out, Go ahead. Come, out and do a, come out and do a live po- podcast. That's what you should be doing. You know, I'm, I, I, you know, don't give me any, any, any. I'll, I'll probably try to talk Dr. Susan into doing that. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if she's game for it. Um, but she'll be our guest uh, in, in the coming hour. Let me go ahead and, and slice into uh, Kellyanna's song about Freya, because uh, I'm, I'm feeling that 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 heathen woman energy. Uh, and we'll be right back with some more guests talking about Paganicon here on
I've come so far, come so far, come so far. Crying tears of amber, tears of gold for my lost love. And I want that behind him, every corner I turn. I pay the price for a necklace of gold. I pay the price for this necklace of gold. Oh. Upon my return, my young daughter I found. But my husband, my true love, was nowhere around. Pleased with my quest, he has left us alone. Now I search and I search to find out where he's gone. I'm endlessly searching to find where he's gone. Now I've come so far, come so far, come so far. Crying tears of amber, tears of gold for my lost love. And I want to step behind him every corner I turn. That be the price for a necklace of gold. Kelly on a, uh, that, that good old uh, Norse woman, heathen woman energy, still very, very strong here in the studio that uh, I was talking off mic with the, with the guests for this coming hour. I've got Lori on with me now that we're talking to Dr. Susan, who I just brought on. And Lori said, did you know you're both from South Dakota? (laughs) And we said, oh yeah, we did. Oh, oh Yeah. (laughs) Ludafisk. <laughs> I have done I so much therapy to forget about Ludafisk. <laughs> I try to explain Ludafisk to people. Okay, so you take this fish and then you soak it in lye. No, really. You soak it in yes. lye. <laughs> yes. And then you. It's you, already you going off the rail. <laughs> Chris, you are our lone male for the show. I am, yeah. I think I'll I'll deal. (laughs) Well, welcome to the show. Dr. Susan, um, you asked, uh, oh, I don't think I gave you an introduction for me. I, I will do the best I can. With what I know of you, I, I met I met Dr. Susan through Facebook. She was trying to get people um, for one of the I guess a thesis that you were doing or a paper study mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. And I thought I, you and I started talking, and we found out that we both were in South Dakota, and that we both at the time we were both living in North Northern Texas, um, and we just we just clicked. And I said, hey. I would really like to have a podcast on Pagans Tonight on sexuality and, you know, dating and relationships that has a a pagan uh, outlook. And that's where we got all acts of love and pleasure. Yes, yes. Me and and my 
partner in, in all acts of love and pleasure, uh, Michael Graywolf, who are, we're on every alternate Wednesday. Which we, this coming Wednesday, uh, you'll be back on. I, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you have a guest or a topic for ne- for this coming week? We are ironing that out. So okay. stay tuned. So, It'll you know, be a fabulous conversation no matter who's there. It always is. It always is. And and Chris, yes. I was looking at your, your background here on the Paganicon.org website, and yes. I was – I, I called my boyfriend up and, and you know, I kick him out of the house on what is when I do the podcast because I I don't want him to be, you know, a distraction and I don't want him to feel like he has he's not uncomfortable, you know, he's uncomfortable in his own house. So I kicked him out. But then I called him up and I said, you would be very interested in Chris because <laughs> I, um, he is very interested in in Scientology. Not to be a Scientologist, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of us on the outside, we have so many questions about Scientology and what what the heck? I mean, there's... there's yeah. It's it's a fascinating topic for many people. Yeah, it's I mean it's you know it, it's a destructive cult. I mean that is what it is. It's a money making scam, but it it uses a it uses an interesting belief system, sort of you know presents itself as a as a sort of a religious philosophy. And I was involved with it. I mean I grew up with it, so I I've been involved with it pretty much my entire life until about five years ago. Well, are you from like California? Is that Yes, I was I, born and raised in California. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I did live in Minnesota for a couple of years. I was actually doing a project for Scientology. That was the first reason I ever went to Minnesota, uh, was I traveled out there on a number of projects for the church, because I worked, I wasn't just a Scientologist, I actually worked for the church. And, um, and I opened the uh, Church of Scientology there, on the um, in uh, St. Paul, and uh, I oh, was working. Cool. That was the last thing that I did was I opened that place up and tried to, uh, you know, help the staff and and uh, the people there to uh, to have a successful uh, expanding organization. And of course, we <laughs> failed miserably because Scientology is not what it presents itself to be. And so, you know, generally, the more people find out about it, the farther away from it they want to get, you know. Well, I was trying to think of Viking Scientologists. I just couldn't wrap my brain <laughs> around that. <laughs> I would so read that comic book. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I would so read that comic book. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> kind of a little incompatible, I think. But still, it would be kind of uh, be very funny. It's a it's a it's an well, interesting group. You know, you can talk about it in a lot of different ways. It's it's caused a lot of damage to a lot of people, but it's also kind of hilariously ridiculous in some ways too. So we can we can talk about it from a lot of different angles, I suppose. Well, the reason I asked about you know you being raised in it and and being from Southern California is again I'm a military brat. I've lived and, and I don't know if that's on your your end. Chris, I, I'm getting a little bit of uh, either breathing or 
the the microphone. Uh, there's a little bit of oh, wherever, whatever it is, I'm... it went away. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but I've I've lived in Southern California for a, a little bit of time uh, in the wow. in the early to mid seventies, and it in California. You know, a lot of us from, you know, the, the rest of the United States kind of like, you know, chuckle and shake our heads at California because Californians are so wide open with their their beliefs, you <laughs> know, what they would, yes. what they will accept. And I think yes. that, yeah, the, the, the thought, what little I know about Scientology, the thought of, of extraterrestrials being involved in a religion works in Southern California. I yes, it does. Tell yeah, us, even Hubbard bit. commented negatively about California though back in the day because he he because <laughs> he started the whole thing back in the fifties and back then well, you know things were a bit more conservative than they are now. But California was the head of the you know leading the way with the, the, the hippie movement and whatnot. So, uh, so even Hubbard was was a little uh, ooh, California, yeah. But uh, but no, his 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 belief system definitely includes aliens. Well, and that's my understanding. And you can you can correct me and add yeah. you know whatever teach me what. But this is my understanding. Elrod Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer, and he said, "I this is again." me from the outside he says i'm yeah. going to create a religion yep and he wanted basically show business people to get involved he was in interested in that yeah he was interested in in celebrities uh as an angle to promote his religion he started it with something called the genetics which was not a religion it was uh, it was an attempt to produce something that was scientific, although it was not scientific at all. And, yeah. uh, and that was the modern science of mental health and then went bankrupt twice. And so he then turned to uh, the religion angle, as he called it, and he started the Church of Scientology in 1954 and, uh, and, and ran with that. And uh, uh, it was uh, pretty successful as far as he was concerned, but um, – uh, you know, the truth of it has come out now, and, and there's a lot of horror stories about people's experience in it, especially people growing up in it. And that's very unfortunate, but it happens in, in many, too many groups across the United States and across the world. And so I've made it my business over the last five years to not just figure out what happened to me in Scientology, but all of these what we call high control groups or totalist groups. Uh, or destructive cults. There's a lot of different terms for it, but you know that's been my my sort of life study over the last four or five years, and that's what I'm bringing to uh, Pagonicon is to to discuss that subject so that right. you know people in, in in the pagan community don't fall into the traps and and pitfalls of what can happen when a group goes off the rails, and that. Because it can happen to any group. It's not just L. Ron Hubbard specific, and that's right. that's what I'm going to be going to be discussing at the at the convention. Well, and and my just my my saying this, I know a little bit about this. It's it's because 
of the secrecy. We have all these, you know, myths, mm-hmm. some of them true. And that's that's what that's what made Scientology so powerful is you were talking about the control. Mm-hmm. Once you're in, mm-hmm. you you know, I, I, I know I've uh, I've heard some of the, the stories that Lee Remini has, has you know, said um, mm-hmm. has talked about her her trying to break with it, and uh, I was, I, I'm in a way I'm glad that the the church didn't take off in Minnesota because when you said, oh yeah, I started the church there in Minnesota in uh, St. Paul, and I'm going back, I'm thinking, oh, are they going to put a hit on you? Are you going to be? That's <laughs> no. the stuff I hear. <laughs> No, I have a I have a wonderful uh, I have a wonderful hate website about me, from uh, you know uh, paid for by the Church of Scientology. But otherwise, they uh, they haven't been too bad to me compared to what some other people have endured. Uh, you know, I don't know why, but that's they're they're sort of randomly pick and shoot their targets, I suppose. But it is a high control group for sure, and. Uh, and the belief system is, you know, I don't know that the belief system is so radically different from so many other groups, but the the way they enforce those beliefs, the way you have to pay a tremendous amount of money to for access to those beliefs, and the the way that it wants to take over basically your whole life is the part of it that, that is not great, you know. Right. So, well, yeah, because they believe in past lives, and they believe in an immortal spirit that you are not your body, you're a spirit, and you're going to live on. You've lived before for, you know, millions and trillions of years you've been around. And uh, and so the idea of living on other planets and there being, you know, civilizations in other places in the universe, those are not beliefs that are unique to Scientology, but Scientology has kind of created this entire mythology of what's gone on in the past. And that's where the aliens and come in. Well, and it, and it, there is, it, it does make sense. And, and when you start, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you about it and I can see how somebody can say, Oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And yeah, yeah. Honestly, they don't even get into this stuff on day one. I mean, nobody's talking to you about past lives and, aliens and intergalactic civilizations and spaceships, none of that stuff happens on day one when they're trying to get you involved with it, right? Their their goal is to try to make it appeal to you by finding something about yourself that you want to change or improve and then making promises to you that Scientology can improve those things, whatever it is, you know, relationship troubles, study troubles, work troubles, whatever, one of the things that concerns me is is the is the how against mental health uh, they are, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have to psychiatry I, specifically, this, yeah, yeah, and and I have to. This is kind of a weird little bit of trivia here. You know, Kirstie Alley is is a member, and she mm-hmm. is the only. This is kind of again weird Frasier trivia. She's the only Cheers cast member. <laughs> That did not come back. Did not uh, guest on Cheers because of her Scientology beliefs about psychiatry. Yeah, it's, yeah, that would be that would be correct. They hate psychiatry, I and mean, they don't just kind of dislike it or have some disagreements with it. They literally—I'm not even kidding. 
they have plans and programs that they've put together with the goal of annihilating psychiatry from the face of the earth. They're that serious wow. about it. They think that psychiatry is responsible for the Holocaust and for World War II. There's no evidence of this. This is what they think. They think that <laughs> wow. uh, <laughs> they think that psychiatry is responsible over you know the the many millions of years for all ills of people and and societies, not just here but everywhere. What? You know, not just and by here I mean planet Earth. <laughs> I mean, they really got well, in for psychiatry in a big way. And that, that to me, would make sense of how they can get control over people because a lot of people turn towards religion when they're, like, at their lowest. And, you know, we, as, as, a, as somebody that's been a leader of my faith community, I have to sit here and weigh with a person, you know, I, I understand I'm giving them spiritual help, but when do I say, dude, you really need to check in with somebody, you know, and then there's times that the, the psychiatrist might say, okay, well, look, fairies, <laughs> magic spells, really? But that's our belief. So <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah, that's interesting. No, exactly. I, and, it, and that's why I try to stress that it's not about the beliefs. You know, I, I, I know that the Xenu narrative and what you watch on South Park and hear about is, is very wild, you know. And, and Herbert was a writer, yeah. and he was a writer of fantasy, science fiction, westerns. He wrote everything. And he was prolific. He had lots and lots of stories out there, and he actually drew from some of those when he put some, some parts of Scientology together, unbeknownst. The Scientologist at the time, uh, <laughs> as well as plagiarizing other people's work, he was he was not shy about that. So he, uh, you know, he put together something that was trying to be the, you know, appeal to everyone at some level because he wanted to have control and power over other people. That was his. That's kind of that's what it, drove them in. What you gotta, and, uh, That's and, what you got to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. That that was what he was about, and he was, he and he was a very troubled, uh, you know, disturbed individual in a number of ways, a personal level, you know, and I and we've we've done a lot of work figuring him out over the years, <laughs> and you know, was he just a con man? Did he really believe it? It's, it's a nuanced conversation. There's a lot of levels to him. He wasn't a black and white figure. And uh, as many of us are, and none of us are black and white figures, you know, it's easy to slap a label on somebody and say, well, that's all there is to the person, but it's just not, it's not really an accurate reflection of reality when this, you do that. So this is a very good way to segue because I, because I, 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 I want to segue into what Dr. Susan, which is like two really interesting things that you can have these conversations. If you go to Paganicon, uh, you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the the no black and white, um, but I don't think I I think I've heard ha- a little bit about how Scientologists saw like you know uh, people gay uh, you know same sex I I don't know is there is that allowed or is that frowned upon and, and you know furthermore is there any room for for gender fluidity, transgender, non-binary. No, no. The, 
Scientology is a homophobic philosophy. L. Ron Hubbard specifically wrote in, in books and, and lectures that he gave that homosexuality or anything like that uh, is a perversion and a, and a form of mental illness, and it needs to be handled. And the only way to handle it is to, is to do Scientology-style counseling on a person in order to relieve them of the, the unnatural urges and causes for those unnatural urges that they have. Which is a very odd hey. thing because it immediately conflicts with the idea that you're actually an immortal spiritual being that doesn't have gender. So how would it be a mental illness? <laughs> but that's what yeah. that was covered very, you know, Midwest, um, early 1900s. He, he, he brought that to the table and he wrote it into the philosophy of Scientology. And they'll... They'll, they try now to present themselves as LGBT-friendly, but, but they are not. I, I Believe me, I, this is something I definitely know. They are not. Dr. Susan, did you, did you know all this stuff? Are you there? Dr. Susan? Susan? All right, I'm here. Sorry, I had to move my microphone. I figured you might have had <laughs> <laughs> no, um, there we go. I, I've been listening with, with great interest because I am, uh, for those who don't listen to me on, on my own show, I am an anthropologist of religion by training and specifically yeah. of uh, new religious movements in the U.S. So you can't talk about that without talking about Scientology. And I devoured <laughs> right. Lawrence Wright's Going Clear when it first came ah, out yes. uh, on audiobook. It was uh, some of the most disturbing reading I've ever done. And, and if you had been in my house and seen my bookshelf, you would understand what a statement that is. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Uh, And I I do highly recommend uh, Lawrence Wright's going clear um, Scientology, Hollywood and the prison of belief Uh, for anybody who wants to kind of educate themselves, definitely get it on audio. It's a tome. Um, And I have uh, shared stage time in religious studies classes with Scientologists before, which was always really? kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. That um, must have been an had, interesting experience. It was. It was interesting. Um, there's a fairly large community here in Dallas. Um, ah, you're in Dallas. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm familiar with that. That explains right everything, there. right? Um, <laughs> and I had a colleague who used to teach a class on religious uh, sex and cults, which was S-E-C-T-S, which is very disappointing for people that signed up hoping for the <laughs> other thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, he would bring me and um, a, a proprietor of a very well-known local chain, chain of local pizza restaurants uh, is a, a Scientologist. And so we would come in and sp- split the class time. And that was, that was an experience. I'll, I'll bet it was. I'll bet it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, there's a, they, they, they have a very good, and believe me, I was involved for, you know, decades, so I, I, I did this work. Uh, they have a very good cover story for, yes. for what they're about. But when you read Lawrence Wright's book, when you watch Alex Gibney's documentary, if you watch Leah's show, you get what goes on behind the closed doors of those churches, sure. and it's very disturbing stuff. Absolutely, and and I think what you what you pointed out, Chris, about how like they don't start with the aliens on day one, no, is really right. key because I mean it's really easy outside for people to stand and go, oh my God, who could believe this? And yep. if you 
know, first of all, the mechanics of, of any high control group are like that, right? That's I right. mean, we don't That's we don't start with you know, give us all your money and uh, don't talk to anybody outside the group. And that's just not how that works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you read um, Hubbard, who is in, in page numbers, the most published author in the English language. That's right. Um, you know, um, it was, was it him and, um, him and Heinlein or him and Asimov who are said to have had a bet about who could form a religion faster, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> right. So, and this is a, a man that's who right. created like these, brilliant worlds and all that and you know even if you look at sort of when he was starting with dianetics he was responding to uh, and i know you you know and I, i'm not i'm not scientology explaining you chris i promise um but yeah, i think people no, don't you're realize yeah, yeah. that um he was uh you know responding to what the predominant paradigm in in psychiatry at the time was which was freudian analysis which is super damaging to people and mm-hmm. wanted to have an alternative that people could do like one-on-one like you know and how many of us pagans do things like holistic peer counseling, right? And so that all sounds really great. And then there's this left turn that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who want to understand sort of how Scientology developed and how it's so influential and how it's so hard to to get out, um, I think you need to you got to start back there and understand how it was sort of this creeping scope, and he kept adding things to the to the mythology and and it, it sort of grew and by the time you know people were far enough in to go wait did you say aliens they were so over their heads that all, right. you, all right. it does is self perpetuate so it's it just as an anthropologist of religion I'm fascinated by all that and and I, I ache for people that come out of it and have to sort of recover um, that's from exactly the right that. word yeah that's right that is, I think, and that's how I, I put it is recovery. I want to be the fly on the wall of when you guys meet at Paganicon, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Lori, yeah, I think this will be fun. I think this will be fun. I will join you. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I will will meet people for the spirited or non-spirited beverage of their choice. Um, I will also be. <laughs> I'm bringing some some different recipes of homemade unscented uh, deodorant for Shauna or Knight to try. We're going to live stream that. So if you want to get in on that action. It should be a good time. <laughs> Sounds like I, it. I I kind of, I need to I need to check that one out too. I, I forgot Sean Elroy Knight's going to be there as well. Uh, yeah, I it's like everybody I know is going to be there. <laughs> I need to be there. You need to be there. Pagodicon. Uh, it's going to be March 16th through the 18th in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. You'll be able to tell me which one it is because I know from everybody outside, Laura. Uh, Lori, sorry, everybody outside yeah. of Minneapolis, it's or out of Minnesota, it's Minneapolis, St. Paul, or the Minneapolis, right. or yeah, the Twin Cities. Um, the tundra. But, but I want. <laughs> That's a I wanted tundra these days. <laughs> I wanted to to kind of you know talk about how you were you were saying that you know these beliefs come in and. Uh, with when you talk about and 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 I know Dr. Susan can talk more about this, uh, a lot more about this. Um, but when you talk about paganism, neo-paganism, goddess 
worship here in the United States. It did start out, you know, have a lot of in the United States, especially West Coast, had its uh, its infancy in the goddess movement in the uh-huh. in, and, and women's lib. And when you know you started getting Dianic uh, beliefs they started getting more and more away from that balance between male and female. And uh, a lot of places, I know that there was a, I, and I'm not going to say the name of it, even if I can remember it, but I know that there was a, 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 like a goddess or a woman's retreat not too long ago within the last few years who were trying to, I don't think that they were trying to be, exclusionary you know be ex- to exclude people who uh may not be cis female and you'll have to to a tell me if i'm using this terminology correctly and b explain this to people who may not know the terminology sure. but it 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 seems like a, there is a big chunk of of a lot of elders, and you wrote a really good blog about it, a lot of elders of neo-paganism that went kind of almost made themselves, how do you explain it? They, they, I don't think they intended to cut themselves off from the rest of, of the community by making a stand on their beliefs about gender. And I know I'm like bringing a whole bunch of crap to this right now, but I'm trying to explain how you can go from something like, you know, Scientology and, and, and these beliefs getting more and more strength where you lose sight of things like there needs to be a balance of male and female. And we all have male and female energy within ourselves and, so well, there it, you go. I'm saying yes. Susan, go ahead and take it. It, 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 gets, it gets complex when you talk about um, sort of goddess-based, you know, feminist witchcraft, um, which is a tradition that I come out of um, where most of us in, in that tradition don't work with male forms of God at all. Um, mm-hmm. And so it becomes uh, – the question of balance is a little bit different. Um you know, I am I am a goddess woman. I come from from that, um, and and come out of uh, a tradition where you know magic and and spell work and ritual are among other tools in the toolbox of political resistance against patriarchy. Um, and particularly, I'm actually moving away from the use of the word patriarchy. I prefer the word curiarchy, um, which is a system that only that benefits in particular sort of white, cisgender, heterosexual, um, capitalist, able-bodied men and the people who kind of support that order. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so in the, in the 70s, um, where, when we're working with second wave feminism and this um, very kind of biologically grounded idea of gender, there's male and female, it's tied to how your, uh, how your body um, forms in the womb and then what we assign to that when you're born. Um, we're definitely looking at sort of gender oppression as the root of everything that sucks. Um, and, and definitely mm-hmm. in, in Western culture, you look at what happens to the earth and what happens to um, women, and it's very tied up together. Um, that's a really great piece of analysis to start with. <laughs> 
And then, of course, if you start looking <laughs> more deeply, you see that, like, what happens to indigenous people, regardless of gender, what happens to people of color, regardless of gender, um, all of that is also tied up in other forms of oppression. And these are all groups that have used spirituality as forms of resistance. So you, you have a, a movement that was grounded in a very specific historical moment of feminist thought. And feminist thought has evolved and changed as culture has evolved and changed. And under our understandings of sex and gender um, have, have and continue to evolve. I mean, the things that I'm teaching about now are com things I'd never even heard of when I started my gender studies degree eight years ago, right? Um, let alone when I started my doctorate in 1997. So it's a mm -hmm. lot to keep up with. And, and what has happened in sort of goddess worship is because so much of it was grounded around sort of reclaiming the power of being a woman. That meant sort of rec reclaiming biological processes like menstruation and pregnancy that are mostly experienced by women. Um, that Those became sort of the core of, of the religion. And that somehow becomes anybody who doesn't have these things doesn't belong in these spaces. Um, it's, it, here's your fancy trivial pursuit phrase for the day. Uh, the, 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 the word, the secret word for the day is biological essentialism. Um, and so that, that sort of core of, of goddess spirituality comes out of that place that like, if you're not born with a, with a vulva and a vagina, you're not a woman and there are only women and men and it's all tied up together and, we, when we say women's only spaces, we mean these spaces. And um, that, I think I've had much healing in those spaces. Um, where it comes to be a problem is when those kind of arguments are used to deny the fundamental humanity of other people, like trans and gender fluid and non-binary people. And that's what happens. You know, people often look and say these these leaders. Um, I'll go ahead and call the names out. You know, Z Budapest and Ruth Barrett, um, who say you know no trans women in our spaces. They say oh they're just taking a stand for their religious beliefs. If you dig in what they're saying, they're saying these women aren't women. They're men. They're coming to do these horrible things. Um, and the, that ideology has a body count. Mm -hmm. That ideology has a body count, and that's where it becomes oh. not a religious debate. That becomes that becomes hate speech. And that's really well, and, and troubling. It, we we met because I, I was the the admin of a of a, a pretty large at the time um, Facebook group that was goddess women and it was it was goddess oriented and um, and oh my gosh I was at work at a call center I was just a, a, a poor working <laughs> slob and my phone was like lighting up. And I, you know, I went on break and, and I had all these phone calls, missed phone calls. Bam! It, it was like World War Three there because it was, it was that, at that, it was that pan, it was, what was it, a Pantheacon? Pantheacon 2014. Yeah. No, actually it was before then because I was still, so it would have been 2012. You're right, and 2012. And it just blew up in our group with all these, these, you know, I didn't know the word turf, trans exclusionary right. radical feminist. And, and, you know, yeah. I have to, 
I, I worry because I'm trying to be a sensitive person and I try to be the person that says, well, that's their time and, and try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I try to, I worry me that, you know, I don't want, want to label them because as hateful, but they are. We would but call that racism. A lot of them. But a lot of a, a lot of them a lot of this because this you and I were having this conversation earlier on Facebook. A lot of what is happening now that might lend to this type of behavior may be accidental, and and you right. said that that's one of the things that you're going to talk about is how do you avoid accidentally creating this atmosphere that's not inclusive. Exactly. So what, what I'm going to be bringing to PaganCon is, is something that I was asked to put together um, by members of, I, I lead a, an open women's full moon circle um, here in Dallas uh, once a month. And it is, uh, as far as I know, the only explicitly uh, inclusive um, circle that includes um, cisgender women. So that's, that's women who were assigned female gender at birth and identify as women now, um, transgender women. So women who were assigned a different gender at birth, but are, 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 are women, um, non-binary people who find their homes in places that focus on sort of women's and femme centric issues, basically people impacted by misogyny. Right. Um, and so in my mission statement for my group, um, we're inclusive and I have a a lot of folks that aren't cisgender women who come to my circle and they say, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been really hesitant to go into sort of goddess centered spaces because people either come right out and say that the only real woman is somebody who's born with a uterus and a vulva, um, which I quite honestly shows a disturbing preoccupation with other people's genitals, which I kind of can't get my head around. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or they're they're like, or it's still so focused on like, you know, all women menstruate, all women experience pregnancy, and they're like, I don't see myself represented there. When and they they say it's a great honor to me that they say when when I come to a space that you facilitate, I see myself here, and I would um, basically go get my people. <laughs> they said, you know, can you go and and talk to other cisgender facilitators. They're like, you're not necessarily going to get through to the TERFs, to the trans-exclusionary radical feminists who say, you know, transgender is not a thing, and, and, and they spew all this hateful stuff. They're like, you're not going to go get those people. Like, kick them in the shins, mm-hmm. but, you know, you don't, don't feel like you have to talk to them. But go get the people that I've seen them now referred to as TUMFs online, which is trans-unaware mainstream feminists. Um, okay. So people who don't necessarily go ahead. There, I was going to say there's there is a lot of there is a lot of that because you know I I've been exposed and have tried my best to educate myself about uh, trans issues and 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 including uh, trans people and um, one of the hardest things that people have to get over, which to me, I, I laughed when you said this because I, I didn't have this fixation with it, but everybody around me does. What kind of parts does that person have? They're trans. Are they all the way trans? What does that even mean? Right. 
I know. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. here, let's look at it this way. They identify as female, but they don't have the parts. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. And, and I and I think that that's, that's sort of the stuff that comes about that we have an idea that um, being trans means having a certain set of medical instruments, which it doesn't always, um, it, you know, it's, it gets really, really sort of complex. And so I had, you know, I, I have been really lucky in the almost three years that I've been facilitating this circle that I've had trans and non-binary members of my community be willing to sit down with me. Cause I definitely started from a, a standpoint of inclusion, right. Which is like, hi, come here. Like there is a place for you here. And that's great. Um, over time, I've come to, um, in actually conversations with Lasara Firefox Allen, who wrote the amazing mm-hmm. book, Jailbreaking the Goddess. Please go get Jailbreaking the Goddess. It'll blow your mind. Um, she talks about moving from inclusion to affirmation, which is when a space is inclusive, it says, hey, this space exists and you will find a place for you here. And I think to go to inclusion is, a, is an important step for a lot of people. Once you get to inclusion, you go past that to affirmation, which is instead of saying, I made this thing and you can come, says, I want to make this thing. I cannot make it what I want it to be without you there. Come, let, let us make it together. And I like that. I, you know, ultimately, I can't tell you that, yes, you know, trans and non-binary members of my, my circle feel affirmed. Um, I can only take their feedback and go towards that space. And the fact that people keep coming back tells me something. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, in, in my circle, it's as simple as um, that, you know, instead of talking about women's experience, I talk about the experience of women and femme and femmes and people who walk the world and who are read as women. Like it's inclusive language, right? Or instead of having everything be about menstruation or pregnancy or whatever, you know, uterus associated right. things, we try and talk, talk bigger. We still talk about those things because those are experiences that a lot of women and femmes have and that a lot of non-binary people have, but we don't make that, you know, some sort of archetypical women's experience. Um, right. You know, so my, my, circle um, I really wanted to actually bring a couple of people to the con with me because I want to be very careful as a cisgender woman that I'm not standing up and speaking for the trans and non-binary people I'm not doing that um, I unfortunately they couldn't work it out so they said you go and you know go get your people and um, mm-hmm. so what I, I'm presenting it will not be a like this is trans 101 I'm not going to be explaining any of that beyond de- just defining some terms I don't want to speak for trans and non-binary and um, gender diverse and creative people in the community. There are people out there doing that work. Um, what I will be doing is talking about what I as a cis facilitator have learned and bringing some of the great ideas that the um, trans and non-binary and gender fluid and more uh, sort of gender creativity aware members of my circle have helped craft into our rituals and our time together and offering those up as suggestions for people who want to make their spaces um, inclusive and move towards affirmation. Um, it, it's interesting because I have people ask me all the time, they're like, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, pretty much I'm not an asshole. <laughs> like, the, start from <laughs> you, there. You know, I, I mean, you know, it's like just 
Go ahead. I have to say though, what do you what do you do? Because occasionally you run into people, and, and and I'm not trying to to be kind of like you know the racist type thinking, but you run into people who are. Uh, I, I'm trying to find a nice way of putting it, but that are that are almost like radical trans. That are, but but you need to listen to their voices and listen to what they're demanding, but then you don't want to be bullied into a certain behavior too, you know. Yeah, you, I, you, you, do you understand what I'm saying with that? I, I, I guess that has not been my experience, and it it, it may be that um, you know, because I, I do a lot of social justice work, uh, you know, in in my life generally, that I understand when people are coming at me with a hard line that they're coming from a place of, of, you know, longstanding oppression. Um, And so I've never felt myself myself bullied. And I think that when, you know, that actually is like something that, that that sort of came up around a a women's retreat I used to go to here in Texas that I've, I've severed ties with is that they were like, you know, we won't, we won't be forced into changing our spaces. And I was like, okay, look, I don't know what you think is going to happen. But nobody's asking you to like give up these, these things they're asking you to think more widely and you know I I try to be really honest that I had sort of my own journey to understanding why this was important mm-hmm. um and I will be forever grateful that there is um one of my sort of co-priestesses that I work with um we were having this conversation one day and we were talking not just about trans and, and a sort of gender fluidity, but also about, you know, using our spaces to confront things like cultural appropriation, to confront racism, to confront classism and ableism. And she said, uh, she said, Susan, the thing is, like, we both came to this form of goddess worship for liberation. We came because this was liberatory theology. This was liberation theology. And... Mm-hmm you can never guarantee that anybody will find liberation, but if the space that you create does not offer the widest opportunity for the widest form of liberation to the widest number of people, to the most marginalized person, then everything you say about liberation is a lie. Wow. Well, Uh I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop it right there because I don't want to give, you know, that's enough to make people want to come. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And, so, and hear what so, Susan has to say. Come and listen. Well, come and, and, and watch me live stream deodorant trials. I'm not always quite this this dour. It's all fun, but I I think it it's it, I think it's going to be good, and I hope that well, I'm going to learn as much as I can. Well, I don't know if Lori set it up this way, but it's kind of like this really interesting dichotomy of of Chris talking about you know the, these religions that our cult and control you mm-hmm. and, and separate you from, from, from liberation, if you will, Chris, right. Mm-hmm. To, to mm-hmm. one, to a mindset that, you know, try to be as inclusive and, and give people that, that ability to be liberated. This is cool. I, I would love to have, I, I, I'm kind of, this is a wish. This is a, the, um, the station manager of Pagans Tonight wish is that there is a show with Dr. Susan and Chris on Pagans Tonight at some point. <laughs> that would be Maybe cool. we'll, we'll have a drink and talk about it in a minute. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would be interesting for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. So, yeah, uh, Lori, this is uh, uh, oh, go 
I was going to say, because we're running out of time, but Lori, this is of what course. you do. You've brought so many cool people into, into my life. I think I met uh, Shauna or a night through, through, through you. And then she and I do, mm-hmm. a, you know, talk a lot on Facebook. Um, and, Oh, Chris, Chris fell off. Uh, so hopefully uh, he may have had to, to go. So when you see him, please at Paganacon, Susan and Lori, please uh, thank him for being a guest. <laughs> and uh, I would love to have him. Oh, he, he came back. Chris is back. I don't know what happened. It's suddenly I was disconnected. I don't know what happened. I was like, Chris left. Please, please in Minnesota. No. Chris, thank you for being, being a guest. But thank you so Absolutely. much for being the, a guest here. And uh, anytime that you want to come on, we have shows pretty much every night of the week. And um, if you've got something that you want to promote or would like to be a guest on not just Susan's show, but one of the other shows, reach out to us. Um, Absolutely. You've, got, you've got my contact information. So um, I'm trying to wrap this up because we only have like three minutes, but Lori, I still want to go on for like another four hours. I know. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, this conversation that you've been listening through uh, for the last hour with Kind every single day at Pagana Kind. And actually, Dr. Susan is uh, going to be having her workshop will be on Sunday at 1 p.m. Um, it's called Creating Affirming Goddess Spirituality. Chris will be on Sunday, actually, or Saturday, actually, at 1 mm-hmm. p.m. Uh, protecting, uh, practicing, practicing safe sex. And he's also part of a panel um, discussion on creating safe communities as well. So that should be very interesting. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. And so, that is practicing safe, S-E-C-T-S. As, uh, <laughs> as Susan yes, mentioned earlier, yes. sometimes it can be yes. a little confusing when you say it out loud. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't realize that when <laughs> yeah, I said that. I don't want people showing up and being disappointed uh, that I, you know, I don't have visual displays or anything, you know. It's, 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 it's more about trying to help the communities out there so that they are uh, liberal, you know, uh, fun, outgoing, you know, good groups to be part of, and they don't fall into the trap that, unfortunately, you know, some groups fall into uh, when you have a charismatic leader and you have people following that person or a certain set of beliefs, sometimes things go, as you mentioned, take a turn, and uh, and I might have some advice on how to maybe not let that happen. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. So PaganaCon.org, and Lori, thank you so much for, for bringing amazing guests as as always and uh you know i'm looking forward to hearing stories and susan hang on because i want to i want to try to hit you up to see if i can get you to to do something for pagans tonight while you're up there um i've got a very strange uh song that i'm going to end on i was thinking about playing some suge but one of the people who works with suge is uh alexander james adams um who was born heather alexander and he taught me quite a bit about the trans experience um when he you know explained and he's been very open and frank uh with explaining the transition uh when he went when he transitioned from heather to um 